Commissioner Ashworth, the room is ready. Okay, thank you everybody. Uh, my name is Sharon Ashworth. I will be sitting in for Commissioner Luke Sinclair tonight. Um, welcome everybody to the July 26th Planning Commission meeting. Um, first up, I'd like to um, have Becky Pepper give us the rules of the road for Zoom meetings, please. Great, thank you. Good evening, my name is Becky Pepper, Planning Manager. Joining me here in the City Commission Room is Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director, and Kyle Kobe, who'll be helping facilitate the Zoom video portion of the meeting. Tonight, we'll work alongside the Vice Chair, who is on remote video, to facilitate the meeting proceedings. Currently, we have everyone muted so we can talk through the general ground rules for tonight's meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the City's YouTube channel. During the meeting, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found in the lower left-hand corner of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you're muted, a red line will appear over the icon, and this will make it easier for everyone to hear the meeting. Just remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. You can also turn your video camera on or off by clicking the video icon in the menu. For the purposes of this public meeting, please keep your video on for the duration. If you're participating by phone, you can enter star six to mute and unmute your phone. Somewhere on your Zoom screen, you will also see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker, while gallery view tiles all of the meeting participants. Commissioners, you must state your name and title each time you speak. Mm -hmm. Members of city staff must also state their name and title each time they speak. I would also ask that the app Applicants and members of the public identify themselves each time before they speak to ensure that everyone is able to follow along. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button located at the bottom right corner of the screen. And for those calling in by phone, you may dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are call called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The vice chair will then call for in-person public comment for those who are physically present. Staff will direct you to the podium to speak while following social distancing and safety protocols. The regular three-minute time limit will apply. All motions will be need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, staff will call on each commissioner individually to prov provide their vote. Staff will then announce whether the motion carried and count for a vote. Again, I want to remind everyone to please mute yourself when you are not speaking. And now I'll turn the meeting over to the vice chair. Commissioner Ashworth, thank you, Becky. Um, first, before we get going, I want to extend a warm welcome to our newest planning commissioner, Charlie Thomas if he would give a wave there. Um, welcome to the Planning Commission. We're glad to have you on board. Yeah. Okay, so the first item up is um, to receive and amend um, our minutes from last month's meeting of June 21st and June 23rd. Does anybody have any amendments? Seeing none, can I have a motion to accept the minutes? Commissioner Carter, Commissioner so Carter. moved. A second. Second. Commissioner Rexford. Commissioner Ashworth, the motion has been moved and seconded. Can I have a call of roll, Jeff, please? Certainly. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. 
Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexer? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? I will abstain since I wasn't here for that meeting. Uh, motion passes 6-0 with one abstention. Thank you, Commissioner Ashworth. Next thing on the um, agenda is to receive reports from any committees that have met over the past month. Any reports? All right, no reports. Um, how about um, any, uh, have we received any written communications from the public that are not in our packet this evening? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. All communications were included in your digital packet this evening. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth, um, have we received any written communications from staff, planning commissioners, or other commissioners? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. No additional communications this evening. All right. Commissioner Ashworth, receive any, have we received any written action of any waiver requests or determinations made by the city engineer? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. None this evening. All right. Commissioner Ashworth, um, do any of the commissioners have any ex parte communications to report this month? Seeing none, moving on to, is there any a declaration of abstentions from specific agenda items this evening? No. Seeing none. Okay, so the next thing, um, Commissioner Ashworth, this next thing is general public comment. This is the time where we give the public an opportunity to speak on items um, in front of the Planning Commission that are not on our agenda for the evening. Do we have any members of the public that wish to uh, comment in general in the city hall, in the commission meeting room? I'll go with planning. There's nobody in the room to provide general public comment. Okay. So far, I'm not seeing any digital hands going up. I'm having a little trouble hearing you, Kyle, now. I mean, after all that testing. Uh, Kyle Kobe with planning. Can you hear me a little bit better now? A little better, yes. The volume's still a little low. Um, so I, I, can, I can confirm that there's nobody in the room to speak for general public comment. And so far, I don't see any hands going up via Zoom either. Okay, thank you, uh, Commissioner Ashwood. All right, so then we'll get on to our regular agenda then for the evening. And the first item up is to consider making a finding um, Consider the projects presented in the 2022-2026 capital improvement plan. Um, our role here this evening is uh, to uh, comment on the conformance with the city's plan 2040 to, for conformance of this capital improvement plan with plan 2040. So the staff presenting tonight are Brandon Thorngate and Danielle um, Bushcarter. I'm sorry if I got that wrong, that name. And I believe we have Brandon Thorngate. Yep, good yeah. evening, commissioners. Brandon Thorngate, planning and development analyst. Uh, Danielle will not be joining us tonight, so you're stuck with me. So um, I, I don't, I'm not an expert on all of the projects in the CIP, but I can definitely try to help as much as possible. Uh, the item for you tonight is to, as you said, review and find in conformance with the uh, Cap with the comprehensive plan, the capital improvement plan for 2022 through 2026. Um, 
Um, let me share my PowerPoint. Okay, great. So the item before you is to review the capital improvement plan for 2022 through 2026. This item uh, comes to you by state statute, which requires a review of the capital improvement plan in reference to the comprehensive plan. Uh, some benefits of a CAP, um, it gives an overall view of the development pattern uh, in the city and also allows us a long range view of capital projects coming through. It promotes coordination and allows us to more effectively budget operating costs um, over a five year period. Some of the things that we gain from the consistency of having this CIP is uh, in categories like facilities and maintenance, uh, a notable CIP project in that category this year is the uh, multimodal transit facility uh, infrastructure. Uh, notable project there would be reconstruction of East 23rd Street from the Haskell Bridge to city limits. And then also things such as equipment purchases uh, and land acquisition for parklands or other city facilities projects. Looking at plan 2040, um, most every chapter uh, is supported um, or supports projects that are included in the CIP and more detail on some of those items can be found in the staff report that was included in your packet. But uh, chapter two, four, five, six, and seven all have uh, action items and elements that are supported by the projects in the CIP this year. And as such, uh, staff has reviewed the CIP and suggests that you make a finding that the projects presented in the CIP are in conformance with Plan 2040 and recommend forwarding a recommendation for approval to the City Commission. With that, I will take any questions you might have. Commissioner Ashworth, thank you very much. Um, Kyle, can you tell me if there's any member of the public in the chambers that wishes to speak on this item? Kyle Covey with planning. I can confirm there is no one here to speak on this item. And as of right now, I don't see any hands going up in Zoom either. All right, Commissioner Ashworth, and I'll bring it back to the commission for comment. Uh, Commissioner Rexroth. Yes, Commissioner Rexroad, I have a couple of questions. Um, I think as I, as I read through the staff report on this, this, this function of approval is per Kansas statute. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, KSA 12748 uh, requires that the Planning Commission um, review the capital improvement plan for conformance with the comprehensive plan. Yeah. And as I, as I looked through, Commissioner Rexford, as I looked through the list, I saw some 97 pages of individual project detail that mm -hmm. uh, for somebody like me to, to be able to meet the requirement of a statute on approval, I would need to understand um, what those things are. Um, is it the expectation that, that, that we approve at that kind of level? I know it's gonna be one grand approval, but we're approving the entire package, is that right? That's right, yes. Um, 
if you had specific and I would maybe defer to Becky or Jeff a little bit on this, but if you had specific projects that you had questions on or concerns about, um, you could include that in your recommendation to the city commission, gotcha. I believe. Gotcha. Um, just because of the, just the, the incredibly large amount of information there to consume and, and really only having seen that, you know, just in this past week, um, I'm trying to get my head around how I might, understand that with the kind of detail I need. So just a couple more questions if I can. Um, can, you, can you share what the process, what process is used that um, causes an item to be placed on this list? Um, and, and was there anything done to filter through, um, is this consistent with our, our long-term planning or not? Sure. So in order to be placed on the capital improvement plan, um, projects um, have to have a minimum estimated cost of $100,000 or a life expectancy of at least two years. Um, and that gets them onto that, uh, into that threshold of being a capital improvement plan. And from there, um, all projects are reviewed by a uh, team of city staff who use scoring criteria um, that are in line with the city's strategic plan uh, to basically um, rank those projects and see which ones, um, for lack of a better term, make the cut um, into the decision to whether they are funded or unfunded in that particular year's plan. Okay, thank you. Um, just two more questions. Um, this is a five-year view. How often is this set of items reviewed? Is this just a one-time review and everything on this now is approved for us five-year life, or do we come back and revisit this periodically based on things that might have changed? Mm -hmm. So this will come to you every year, um, and it's, um, it, it's sort of redeveloped every year. This is the plan for 2022 through 2026. And as a part of next year's city budget process, we will develop a capital improvement plan for 2023 through 2027. So the years 2023 through 2026 are included in the current plan and will be re-examined next year and reprioritized based on needs and wants um, happening in the community. Very good, thank you. Just one last question. Is there, um, was there anything um, as staff reviewed and prepared this document that showed up um, to uh, planning commission staff as marginal or something that should uh, would require a deeper understanding to know that it does in fact fit in with our planning direction. Uh, no, the uh, as the capital improvement plan is presented to you, it um, it was found to be within conformance of the comprehensive plan. Thank you. Commissioner <clears throat> Ashworth, is there are there any other comments from yes? Commissioner Shanklin. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, on that last point, uh, typically in the materials we're provided for any matter that comes before us, um, we are, uh, we receive the benefit of uh, planning staff's professional opinion. And I, as I looked through this, I didn't see those words. So I wondered, um, this is a question for um, Mr. Crick, could you confirm that it is your opinion that this is in conformity with the comprehensive plan? 
Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director, Commissioner Shanklin, we do believe it is in conformance with the comprehensive plan. Planning staff works along with finance throughout the course of the CIP and the process. So we're very attuned to the items that are going on. Brandon is one of our, our budget team members that work there. And Amy Miller, our assistant director, is also on that team to kind of help vet the project. So we we worked along the way as part of this is going on there. But Based on our understanding of the capital improvement plan and plan 2040, we believe it is in conformance. Thank you. Commissioner Ashworth, any other? Yes. Commissioner Thomas. Commissioner Thomas, when I looked at this material, I was um, a lot like um, Commissioner Rexford in saying that was a lot of information given to us last Tuesday. Um, I did not read that we thought the things that were on in that plan were necessarily things we approved of or thought should be there, but just that it was in conformance. Are we saying that we agree that everything in that plan is what we think should be there? Or just that it is in conformance with the 2040 plan. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Thomas, you're correct. It's not necessarily the, if the item should be in the capital improvement plan, but more about if the plan, if the item is there, does it conform with the plan? The, the actual items, the programming, the timing, and the funding is left to the city commission and their discretion on those items. It's mainly just that check to see if, if there's anything in here that would not meet that conformance requirement, not so much the, the programming of the item. Well, Commissioner Thomas, I would say if if staff has since staff reviewed this and looked at it, then there would be nothing that I would know that would say it is not in conformance. So staff has done their job. Staff says it's in conformance. Then I have nothing to say other than I would have to agree with them. Thank you, Commissioner Thomas. Um, Commissioner Ashworth, any of the other commissioners wish to comment? Yes, Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. Uh, for, the, for those, this is your first time through. I think, as Jeff pointed out, we're just, <clears throat> we're just at a high level view, kind of scroll through the list, see if anything jumps out that doesn't seem should be there basically in our opportunity to ask questions about it. I mean, this has been reviewed by the city commission in their budgetary process with to be in compliance with the strategic plan. And I'll just have to say, we don't have as, you're, you're talking about how much information is here. Commissioner Butler is the only person here that will remember back when we would get this, um, when they delivered printed, packets to our houses prior to the meetings. And when this one came out, it was incredibly thick. And it went down to the purchases of individual trash trucks um, in there. So we don't have that now. And, and a lot of the questions I've just heard are the same questions that the new commissioners ask every time. This is the first time we see it. But the one thing to, to keep in mind that the planning departments review these. So they're both 
we're getting the recommendation that they are already in conformance with both the city strategic plan and the comprehensive plan. And a lot of these, if any of them trigger any changes, site plans, variances, we'll see it. So there's that review mechanism that comes up too. So if anything requires anything that's under our purview for approval, we'll see it again. Um, so at this point, as Commissioner Thomas mentioned, we have to kind of mostly rely on the city commission and staff that all of these are there. Um, our input will come if any of these are extending into new areas or like one that I'm noticing is not here is the cost of building a new water tower in Water Tower Park. The only thing that it says about Water Tower Park is Park and Rec is going to do some reconfiguration. So that was a big one. So we saw that water tower issue was on this, you know, five-year plan and kept popping up. Um, mostly unfunded, but it was kind of a heads up to the public that these are projects that the city is going to undertake at some point. And periodically we'll get somebody that comes in and comments, but for the most part, it is just high level. And if nothing just jumps out at you, it's pretty much pro forma that we just approve this with the knowledge that we'll see anything that triggers um, <clears throat> our review in the future like the multimodal transfer facility will probably come back to us at some point. But this is just budgeting it. This is not the actual plan. This is all about budget for the most part. Commissioner Ashford, thank you, Commissioner Carpenter, for that perspective, especially for our newer members. Um, and speaking of higher level comment, I actually do have one sort of um, higher level comment to make uh, about, uh, while I do believe the comprehensive, uh, the plan, the capital improvement plan conforms with plan 2040. I did note in going back through some of the history of capital improvement plans, just how often we are um, repairing walk, some of our major streets, Wakarusa, Castle, 23. And um, I just want to make a note um, for the city commission that this goes to is that um, our residential and smaller collector streets are in really tough condition, um, especially if we're going to look at things like Chapter 4, Lawrence Neighborhood and Housing. We talk about multimodal transportation systems, and I'm finding that biking on a lot of these roads is um, rather hazardous. And of course, a lot of people are biking and walking and trying to run in the streets because the sidewalks are bad. But the streets I'm finding are also um, quite hazardous in some of our residential areas. So I just want to make note of that and um, eventually would like to see some consideration of how, how we balance that out between our major roads and some of our, our minor roads in the capital improvement plans. The, the smaller road repairs are all lumped together um, into road maintenance. So there's always that in the budget. Um, but I am no noting and have heard um, have been in discussion with several um, members of the community that have also uh, note, noted and made note of the condition of our smaller roads. So I'm just saying that for general comment. Does anybody else have any general comment about the capital improvement plan before we move to a vote or a motion? 
Commissioner Carter. Uh, David Carter, Planning Commissioner. Uh, Madam Vice Chair, I'm prepared to make a motion if you believe we're ready. Please do. I move that we make a finding that the project is presented in the 2022 through 2026 capital improvement plan are in conformance with the city's comprehensive plan and forward a recommendation to the city commission for approval. Do we have a second? I saw Commissioner Shanklin first or second. I'll second. Okay. And any further discussion? Seeing none, can I ask Jeff to call the roll, please? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Commissioner Ashworth, thank you, Jeff. Um, our next item, um, we will need to recess to consider this item. We are going to consider a conditional use permit uh, for uh, SNL Storage, LLC. Uh, this is a recess to consider with a joint meeting with the Lecompton Planning Commission. Um, can you tell me, Kyle, is anybody representing the Compton Planning Commission with us this evening? Kyle Kobe with planning. I don't think any of the names that I'm seeing in the Zoom meeting are matching any of the commissioners who I have on my list. It's always possible that one of the names might differ from the person who's actually logging in, but as of right now, I don't see any representatives. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth, and please correct on the protocol. Do we still need to recess to consider this item? Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services Director. Um, seeing that there are no individuals who are here for Lecompton on that end, it is fine to proceed as, as the body right now. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth, okay, then I will ask the staff. Uh, Kyle Kobe is the planner who will be presenting this particular item. Thank you very much. Kyle Kilby with planning. This application proposes a conditional use permit to expand the existing boat RV storage use at property addressed as 568 North 1800 Road. The subject property is zoned AG2, which permits the proposed use with a conditional use permit. The surrounding area is a combination of AG1 and AG2 districts. This use was originally approved in 2002. Over the years, several subsequent approvals for expansion have taken place. The most recent expansion was approved in 2019, uh, which allowed an additional storage building on the property. The applicant proposes the addition of two new structures for boat RV storage, as well as an uncovered gravel area. If approved, the storage capacity on this property would increase from 82 rentable spaces to 162 total spaces. The proposed expansion would add approximately two acres of building and or gravel area to the property. Majority of the property, including the already developed areas, contains prime farmland in the form of type two and type three soils. Douglas County Zoning Code states that up to 40% of a property may be required to be protected in cases like this. While environmentally sensitive lands are present at this location, in this case, staff is not recommending that the remaining area be set aside for protection due to the existing conditions of the property, surrounding context, and the relatively small amount of land which would be preserved at this point. 
The applicant has reached out to a representative from the Lecompton Township regarding improvements to the right-of-way. These discussions are ongoing and final approval of the conditional use permit is contingent on township approval as indicated in the recommended conditions of approval. The applicants also indicated that a code compliant lighting plan will be provided prior to release of the proposed conditional use permit. Additional coordination with Free State Electric will be needed to determine the exact location and detail for additional lighting. And once that information is available, that will be packaged together and sent into staff. So in conclusion, staff is recommending approval of the proposed boat RV storage use expansion subject to the conditions listed in the staff report. Um, that concludes my presentation. I'd be happy to answer any questions you may have. And I believe that the applicant is here with us tonight via Zoom as well. Commissioner Rashford, thank you, Kyle. So the applicant is Ben Sheffley. And uh, Ben Sheffley, would you like um, to present anything to the commission? You have 10 minutes. This is Ben Sheffley, SNL Storage. Um, I do not have anything to add at this time. Brad Nautical is also on call with us and he might have something. This is Brad Nautical, one of the owners of SNL Storage. Can you hear me okay, commissioners? Yes, we okay. can. Okay. Do not, I do not have anything to add at this point either other than what Kyle presented for the uh, conditional use permit. Commissioner Ashworth, thank you both. Um, and Kyle, um, are there any members of the public here to comment, either in the chambers or online? Kyle, Kobe with planning. Uh, there's nobody in the room to comment on this item. As of right now, I'm not seeing any digital hands going up either. All right, thank you. This is Commissioner Ashworth. I'll bring it back to the commission for questions to staff or applicants. Commissioner Rexrode. Hi, Commissioner Rexrode. Thanks. Question for the applicant. Um, have these structures already been built and you're just seeking the conditional use permit to, to use them or is there still construction to be done? There's, there's still, uh, there, there's three structures out there, actually four structures with 82 stalls that all already fall under a conditional use permit previously approved. The, the new permit the new conditional use permit would allow us to build another one or two buildings and a, and a uh, gravel lot if we, if we desire to. Gotcha. Thank you. Commissioner Ashworth, any other questions from commissioners? Any comments on the conditions that are placed? Um, on this conditional use permit. Commissioner Carpenter, you unmuted yourself. Did you have a comment? Well, Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner, I guess I have a question for staff. <clears throat> there was an addendum that was sent out, but it, I can't identify where that came from. Were these questions from the county? Was this some other individual that had questions? Um, and who answered some of these questions? Because there are some interesting points in those two pages, but I don't have a context. Kyle Kobe with planning that addendum that you're referring to are comments that were provided by Douglas County Zoning and Code staff. Um, they were discussed with the applicant. You see the 
answers in red are from the first round of comments that we got back from the applicant. Uh, the subsequent comments were discussed via um, directly with the applicant over the phone. So they, they were addressed with them, but we don't have um, written responses to those comments. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. Who's responsible for the road maintenance for this section of North 1800 Road? Kyle Kobe with planning. The maintenance for this stretch of the road is um, under the purview of the Lecompton Township. Um, I spoke with a representative of the Lecompton Township earlier today. He confirmed that they had um, started talks with the applicant about um, improvements um, that would be made to the right-of-way. Like I said before, they're um, still refining what the details of that will be, um, which is why we have that condition placed um, or that recommended condition placed for approval um, to provide them time to figure out, you know, whatever the township requires and the mechanism through which that they'll they'll get that. Um, which would we would need to have comment from them back before we release the conditional use permit. But um, ultimately, subject to the township. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner, I, I drove out there and that road's pretty ragged. You know, <clears throat> it needs a lot of upkeep. Um, so since most of the traffic on this road is for this facility, we don't have anyone from the township here, but I was just wondering if Tanya or you, Kyle, would be able to comment on how the townships usually approach this type of situation when one commercial use puts the greatest well, causes the most use or degradation of a roadway. How does that usually work? Kyle, Kobe with planning, I will attempt to answer that as best I can. Um, my understanding is that, it, you know, it is to a certain degree a case by case basis. Um, in this particular case, the, the stretch of road is shorter and there are fewer other um, you know, people taking direct access off of that. So it is a little bit easier to identify where those trips would be coming from. Um, I know that it, just in talking with uh, uh, Casey with the Lecompton Township and then with the applicant today, um, that was a part of their conversation that, you know, ultimately a lot of that improvement would be for the people who'd be coming to this property. Um, I, I don't know that I could comment broad strokes on how it, it typically works, but I know in this case, every time I spoke with the uh, township representative, he uh, essentially just communicated to me that, you know, once they get in contact, they begin a dialogue and they kind of, I believe he took a, he might have taken a trip out there and assessed the site um, to see what kind of impacts there might be, what kind of requirements they might have. And then once they were able to get in contact, I believe the majority of what is being discussed is um, improvements to the road itself. Um, I don't have specifics on, you know, what, those requirements are going to be or what that impact will be. Um, I, like I said, I think that's still being refined, but I don't know that I could give a more, uh, I guess, broad strokes answer to that question other than uh, the township works with the applicant um, depending on, you know, on a case by case basis. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. Thank you, Kyle. That, <clears throat> that helped a little bit. Um, is this, the final issuance of this conditional use permit, is this any way governed by an agreement between this landowner and the Wicompton Township? Would that agreement have to be in place before 
they could go forward and build. Kyle Kobe with planning, uh, the way that the condition of approval was structured, um, the intent was to, uh, again, without knowing what the mechanism will be or what the impacts are, um, that the township is going to re request, um, you know, work, work on, um, we wanted to leave it, I guess open-ended might not be the right term, but just subject to the Compton Township informing us that they have what they need. Again, I think it depends on what it is that they wind up landing on. But yes, we would require that the Lecompton Township folks in, let us know that they have everything in place in writing and locked in before we release the conditional use permit, whatever that might be. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner, thank you. That, that helps a lot to know that. And I guess just in a general comment, um, we've had multiple requests for rezonings for boat and trailer storage. And mo I think almost all of them we've turned down because they were contrary to the area plan without looking at the entire area plan. But what we have here is an existing uh, boat and store boat storage area that with this expansion might take off some of that pressure of other places. And if these other details can be worked out, I don't have much problem with it. I, I do have a little concern about the stormwater. I mean, this is gonna be a lot of impervious surface rush going to the east towards the one neighbor's house and statements in the, in the documents say this either goes into Coon Creek or goes into the neighbor's pond and then into Coon Creek. So how prone is that pond to flooding into the neighbor's property now? And what difference would all this additional impervious surface make? Does anybody have any projections for that? Kyle Kobe with planning, I think the best answer I can give you there is that that was something that, you know, in my first conversation with Casey at the township, you know, one of the things I brought up was if there would need to be improvements for stormwater infrastructure as well. Um, again, my understanding is that um, roads um, is the, the primary thing that they're talking about with the applicant. I don't have any information beyond that other than that um, the township folks uh, took a look at that as well. Uh, as far as I know, that's not, they're not requiring additional infrastructure for that at this time. To my knowledge again. And I, Tanya, I believe, oh, go ahead, Tanya. Tanya Voigt, Zoning Director. Um, as for the township component, we don't get quite as concerned. We do have a section in the zoning regulations that states that any development um, that occurs cannot negatively impact a neighboring property owner or someone else on a different piece of private property. And so we do get drainage complaint calls quite often. Um, sometimes when people terrace or they run their tile drains from their basement in different directions or they're building up a pad site for a house or accessory building. And so um, the reason that we had put that comment in and asked for that to be included was just, um, I don't know that there's really any way to tell um, without calculations probably done by a, a hydraulic engineer or a drainage study done by a hydraulic engineer to be able to tell how much impervious surface is being created and then how much that will add to the neighbor's pond um, and to the ditch system and ultimately then to the neighbor's pond. So 
Um, and, and we did point out that concern um, with the applicants early on, and, and um, we just don't have an answer for it unless we have more, more information. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission. This is kind of an odd situation. If the neighbor was to complain after the conditional use permit was granted and these structures and the gravels all put in, I mean, it's already there. So what would the remedy be if the county and the county commission found that this was such a nuisance to the neighbors in the future? This is all hypothetical. But if it was found to be a nuisance to the neighbors in the future, you know, through that whole process up through the county commission, what would the remedy be in that type of case? So we have had some sites, Tanya Boyd, zoning director, some sites that have had to do some drainage studies in order to develop. Um, the sod shop is an example of that. And they were required to put in a detention basin and hold all of their stormwater runoff on their own property. Um, but those calculations were ran and they knew, you know, what that was creating and how much more um, of a, you know, stormwater issue that was um, on that site because they ran those calculations. And so in this case, I think um, we would maybe want to ask for a condition or something to be added that if we do have issues with drainage, that then we could bring it back to the commission and discuss requiring a drainage study. Um, I, I think we're very open to options. We just wanted to, you know, try to come up with some type of solution as well in case there are complaints. Parker Planning Commissioner, if, if that situation arose <clears throat> with the county, you know, issue something to say stop operating until we had this type of review and remediation, and I'm seeing a negative head shake from Tanya. So I guess, no, it would continue to operate and go through that process then. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Tanya Boyd, zoning director. We typically, if we have issues and we have complaints, we work towards a resolution um, and we allow them to operate while we're working towards the resolution to compliance. And so if um, a property owner wasn't willing to work with us and wasn't willing um, to like go through the next steps that are needed, then we would issue a stop work order um, or, or something like that. But typically that's not, not our style and not the way we prefer to post sites or placard sites. We really wanna work with the applicants to come up with a solution and then um, go through that process to get compliant. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission. Thank you, Tona. I'm gonna be quiet now and let somebody else ask questions. <clears throat> Commissioner Ashworth, I noticed that um, Commissioner Shanklin's mute is off. Did you have something you wanted? Um, did you have a question or a comment, Commissioner Shanklin? This is Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. I, yes, I, um, although I hadn't raised my hand, <laughs> your, your suspicion is correct. Um, I, you know, this is one of those cases where um, I would have expected more public commentary. And we've run across a number of those uh, in in recent meetings, and um, it's perhaps uh, there are just you know a small number of, of neighbors that might be concerned with this. Um, I don't know if the the approvals that were noted uh, in the materials are uh, ones from someone who would be affected by the runoff. I, I wasn't quite certain about that, so I don't know if they've specifically agreed to this, 
But um, when a facility like this was proposed in my neighborhood, there were more than a dozen people that came out uh, expressing various concerns about, you know, traffic and runoff and uh, unsightliness and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's an explanation for why there isn't um, more public interest in this. Commissioner Ashworth, are there any other commissioners who would like to comment or have a question? Can I ask if um, either the applicants would like to discuss the, the runoff issue? Um, if you have any comments on the runoff from the new construction. This is Brad Noctegall, one of the applicants. Uh, commissioners, you make a very good point. Uh, although we are applying for a conditional use permit for two more buildings and one gravel lot, it's high li high likelihood that we're only gonna, going to add one more building and not two buildings in a gravel parking lot. We went through this process a year and a half or two years ago as noted earlier and uh, didn't understand fully the process really. And so we only applied for one building at that time thinking that was gonna be our end game. But we have so much demand, as Commissioner Carpenter alluded to, because of the shortage of boat and RV and camper storage in the county. We have so, many, so much demand that we're getting two and three and four calls a day from people that need these services. So uh, it's, it's asking, it's begging us to explore some more uh, stalls out there. And, and really what we're talking about probably is 40 more stalls in one more building that's 70 by 240 with gravel entrances on each side. And one of the sides, the north side, is already a gravel entrance that's existing. So really, it's the one building with a with a south gravel entrance is probably our end game for for all intensive purposes. I guess one other thing I'd add is I've been a customer out there before. I was an owner for at least ten years, and uh, throughout that ten year period, have have uh, traveled that frontage road, and uh, also. Uh, no, not noticed any uh, impervious water issues. Obviously, there wasn't as many buildings out there, but uh, it is over 10 acres of property. And so there and there's a pretty good distance between any neighbors and, and our property as well. Ben, I don't know if you have anything to add as well. Uh, ben Shepley, SNL Storage. Um, no, I, I know, you know, looking overhead, there is a storm drain that goes underneath I-70, a large culvert that feeds that pond also. And I don't know where that comes from or, you know, I don't know if it just comes from underneath and, you know, feeds from I-70. But um, that, that pond, that creek that goes through there is the lowest point until it hits. You know, it's a valley that pretty much goes through there that, that I can see um, looking overhead for what I can find out online. And it feeds into the creek, and then it feeds into the Kansas River uh, Northway. But uh, other than that, the only other things I could kind of say uh, is that frontage road. I, I spoke with Casey at the Lecompton Township, and he confirmed that they haven't done any maintenance to that road in over two years. Um, so any gravel road or any road that gets any kind of traffic that doesn't get any maintenance in over two years is going to look pretty bad. So, and I don't know what kind of agreement they had with that. Cause I think KTA Kansas Turnpike Association, um, they have an entrance right there that's off that County road. So not only is it us that is 
our tenants are entering that way, but you've got large equipment, you've got trucks, you've got state trucks that are emergency vehicles that are using that road also. Uh, but I know they installed that. They, they uh, put the asphalt down and the understand that I has KTA has not helped with the upkeep of that at all since they did that. Mr. Ashford, thank you both, um, Mr. Nautical and Mr. Shepley for those clarifying comments. Um, do any of the commissioners have any further questions or comments? Seeing none, I'll just make um, one comment uh, myself, uh, Commissioner Ashworth, um, that I really took note of the, the commentary in the staff report um, about this being an existing Stru existing structures for the purpose of uh, boat and RV storage uh, and that it might well relieve pressure on other pieces of land um, to have this business in this location where it already exists. Uh, so if there are no other comments, oh, M Commissioner Carter, you have unmuted. Would you like to, <laughs> no? No, um, I, I guess I hadn't realized uh, I'd unmuted myself, David Carter, uh, Commissioner, I guess, but I guess maybe subconsciously I wanted to say something. Um, I, I think um, addressing some of Commissioner Shanklin's uh, observations about, you know, cases we've had before, uh, from a site selection perspective, I, I think this seems to have um, the benefit of not interfering or not, not provoking um, uh, a, a, a lot of excess traffic uh, among many residential neighbors. Uh, being a road that goes essentially directly to the site um, and then from there directly to East 600 Road and you know just a, a few hundred feet from the Farmer's Turnpike, um, it, uh, it, 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 it seems to me to have the benefit of not, not, not going emptying directly onto a major, um, a major uh, artery um, and, and yet being close enough that it's a fairly direct route, um, you know, to, to Clinton Lake. Um, so, um, I honestly have no, no particular objections, uh, to this, uh, to this request. Um, and want to thank, uh, uh, the other commissioners, especially Commissioner Carpenter for the very insightful questions. So I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to support this. Brad Noctigal, SNL applicant. One other observation that uh, Commissioner Carter made is we're nine miles from Clinton Lake, but we're also nine miles from Perry Lake as well. So it is centrally located between those two uh, recreational properties. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth, thank you. If there are no other comments or questions from the commission, would I, could anybody entertain a motion? Planning Commissioner, I guess I had one more question. This is just a process. There's an existing conditional use permit <clears throat> that covers what's there now. So the one that's before us tonight, that would include what's already existing plus an expansion and the old one disappears. Is that how this works, Kyle? Kyle Covey with planning that Yes, um, this conditional use permit would be, if approved, if it made it through Board of County Commissioners as well, this would be the conditional use permit for the property. So the like the five-year time, 10-year time limits would go from approval of this um, application. 
Thank you. Commissioner Ashworth, would anybody like to make a motion on this condition of use permit? Uh, Commissioner Rexrod. Sure. Um, I'm happy to make a motion. Um, just a question. Uh, do we want to read all four of the conditional items into the uh, motion to approve? Or just the general, just that general first paragraph? Uh, Commissioner Ashworth, you can read the general, um, the paragraph at the beginning, but we can all, always just subject to the conditions put forth in the staff report. Very good. Thank you. Commissioner Rexrod, I move we approve the conditional use permit CUP-21-00184 for a boat RV storage use located at 568 North 1800 Road and forward to the Board of County Commissioners with a recommendation for approval based on the findings of fact in the body of the staff report and subject to the conditions in that report. Commissioner Asher, thank you. Do we have a second? Commissioner Butler seconds the motion. Any discussion? Further discussion? No? Okay, Jeff, can I ask you to call the roll, please? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrode? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Thomas. Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Commissioner Ashworth, thank you all. Thank you to the um, applicants. And our next item, item number three on our agenda is to consider rescinding the minimum maintenance road designation uh, for East 1000 Road. And our staff who's going to report on that or give the summary of that is Avery Kerner. Yes. Okay. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Avery Kerner, and I'm a planner with the planning division. This evening, you actually have two minimum maintenance road items before you that will be presented on separately. The first request before you this evening is item MM-21-00002, and this is a request by the Board of Highway Commissioners of the Willow Springs Township to rescind the minimum maintenance road designation on a portion of East 1000 Road between 029 North and North 100 Road. A location map can be found on page two of the staff report provided in your agenda packet this evening. East 1000 Road located between the South Douglas County line and North 100 Road was originally opened in 1870 as a public full maintenance road. This road remained a public full maintenance road until 1994 when a portion of this road from North 100 Road to a point approximately 3,800 feet south was officially declared minimum maintenance by the Board of County Commissioners. However, since at least the year 2000 and up until present day, Willow Springs Township has maintained this portion of road as if it were designated full maintenance. Today, the road physically appears to be a full maintenance road and is used by everyday traffic. So the request this evening to rescind the minimum maintenance designation is essentially a corrective action so that the road's designation accurately reflects its current physical state and use. A hearing regarding this road was held at the Willow Springs Township monthly meeting on April 7th. At this meeting, no members of the public voiced any opposition and the township's request was forwarded and presented to the Board of County Commissioners on May 12th. Again, no opposition was voiced at this public hearing and the Board of County Commissioners signed a resolution to officially commence the process to rescind the minimum maintenance road designation and forwarded the request to the Planning Commission for its recommendation. 
Once a recommendation is made by the Planning Commission, this item will go back to the Board of County Commissioners for final consideration. If the Board of County Commissioners decide to approve the Township's request, they will sign a final resolution officially rescinding the minimum maintenance designation. And because the road is already maintained as a full maintenance road, if the request is approved, the only physical change to the road will be the removal of any existing minimum maintenance signage along the road. Staff recommends approving the request to rescind the minimum maintenance designation for East 1000 Road between 029 North and North 100 Road in Willow Springs Township and forwarding a recommendation of approval to the Board of County Commissioners. And with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions you may have. And I'll say, and we also have Kevin Sontag from the Douglas County Public Works Office with us tonight to also help answer any questions you may have. Commissioner Ashworth, thank you, Avery. And yes, we do have Kevin Sontag um, remoting in. Um, I'll turn it over to our applicant. Uh, Kevin Sontag, <clears throat> excuse me. I haven't spoken in a while. Uh, Kevin Sontag, Douglas County Land Surveyor. Uh, nothing really to add. Uh, Avery summarized the situation very well. Um, it is very much a cleanup issue in the sense that we are just trying to make the uh, road uh, the way it is actually being used and maintained and traveled uh, match what the records show it is. And as of right now, they do not match. So this is very much a cleanup issue and uh, it as, is as pretty much a slam dunk as we get in situations like this. Uh, we have heard no uh, negative comments from uh, any property owners and the township is very happy to uh, keep the uh, current maintenance uh, going forward, uh, keeping keeping it maintained as a full maintenance road. So uh, very straightforward. And uh, we just thank the commission tonight for uh, hearing the item and uh, giving us our your opinion on the matter. Thank you. Commissioner Ashworth, thank you very much, both of you. And I'll ask Kyle if there are any members of the public in the chambers or anybody um, online who would like to speak to this issue. Kyle Kobe with planning. There are zero people here to speak on this item. And at this point, I don't see anybody who wants to speak via Zoom either. All right, Commissioner Ashworth. So I'll bring it back to the commission for questions and comment. Commissioner Carter. David Carter, Commissioner. Um, uh, uh, I'd just like to ask staff a little bit of clarification, just since we don't encounter these situations very often, a little bit of background on what the practical implications of this change would be, especially in terms of finance. Um, my, my, you know, from the staff report, my impression is these um, minimum maintenance uh, designations take place to kind of uh, reflect that uh, very little traffic, traffic is expected and users should expect uh, very little maintenance, you know, as, uh, uh, um, um, as a consequence. But if the township is, you know, has been um, uh, expending the resources to maintain the road regardless, um, does the change in the designation have any, uh, any consequence, any effect on their ability to finance it or where, you know, where the finances actually come from? Uh, Kevin Sontag, County Surveyor. Uh, no, it won't change uh, it from a township perspective. They'll be spending the same number of dollars on the road 
in the future as they have been in the past. Um, they have been treating this just like it was a full maintenance road the whole time. So that will not change. Um, there is one practical difference that uh, may occur in the future, and it is uh, just, just a may, not definitively. Uh, opening this road up as a full maintenance road, or I, I shouldn't say open, but declaring this a full maintenance road and not a minimum maintenance road does allow a, any property owner who takes access from this road the ability to receive a residential building permit off of this stretch of road. Residential building permits are not allowed on minimum maintenance roads. Um, so if this were road were to get an application currently for a residence, it would have to be denied simply because the road was declared minimum maintenance, even though it was being maintained. Um, making this change uh, would allow somebody to potentially build a residence off of this stretch of road, which of course would give uh, a few more tax dollars to the township, which would assist with the road maintenance. So um, the township, uh, I, the, the, there are no property owners right now asking for uh, residences off of this stretch. Um, so uh, obviously things might change in the future, but if, if that does happen, uh, the township does not seem to have any problem with that. Uh, it would increase their tax base very slightly. And, and um, uh, as I've said, there's been no opposition from anyone else. So uh, I hope that helps. Uh, David Carter, Commissioner, thanks very much. That's very helpful. Commissioner Ashworth, are there any other commissioners who would like to comment or have a question on this item? Uh, we could also entertain a motion if nobody has any further comments. Anyone? Sure. Commissioner Rexrode. Commissioner Rexrode, to move that we approve the request to rescind the minimum maintenance designation MM-21-00002 for East 1000 Road between 029 North, uh, 029N and North 100 Road in Willow Springs Township and forward recommendation of approval to the Board of County Commissioners. Thank you. Do we have a second? Commissioner Carter, any further discussion? No, can I ask you to call the roll please, Jeff? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrode? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Thomas. Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Thank you, Commissioner Ashworth. We're on to item number four. And um, Avery again, was there another minimum maintenance road designation? Yes, good evening. Uh, again, this is Avery Kerner, planning staff. The second request uh, before you this evening is item MM-21-00. 003. And this is a request by the Board of Highway Commissioners of the Lecompton Township to establish the minimum maintenance road designation on portions of three roads. The three portions of roads up for consideration are East 300 Road between North 2150 Road and North 2190 Road, East 400 Road between 2146 North and 2199 North, and then North 2000 Road between 126 East and 175 East. 
And a map of these roads can be found on page two of the staff report provided in your packet this evening. Um, all three, uh, sorry, all three portions of road up for consideration were opened over 100 years ago as public full maintenance roads. As far as anyone can recall, all three roads were maintained and appeared travelable until around the 1990s. Around that time, all three roads stopped receiving regular maintenance as these roads were not used by the general public for travel and no residences took access from these segments. Currently, all three roads are in such poor condition that a typical vehicle could not traverse them. Today, the roads are primarily used by the surrounding property owners for recreational purposes. And at this time, the township has no desire to improve these roads and are therefore asking to establish the minimum maintenance road designation to match each road's current physical state and use. A hearing regarding this request was held on April 20th at the Lecompton Township monthly meeting. At this meeting, no members of the public voiced any opposition and the township's request was forwarded and presented to the Board of County Commissioners on April 28th. Again, no opposition was voiced at this public hearing and the Board of County Commissioners signed a resolution officially commencing the process to establish the minimum maintenance road designation on the three subject portions of roads. This resolution also officially forwarded the request to the Planning Commission for its recommendation. Planning staff has received several calls regarding this request prior to the meeting this evening. All communication has been for clarification on the purpose of this item and no members of the public have expressed opposition to the request. Once a recommendation is made by the Planning Commission, this item will go back to the Board of County Commissioners for final consideration. If the Board of County Commissioners decide to approve the township's request, they will sign a final resolution officially establishing the minimum maintenance road designations for the three, for the three subject portions of roads. And because the roads already appear to be and act as minimum maintenance roads, if the request is approved, the only physical changes to the roads will be to add minimum maintenance signage along each segment. Staff recommends approving the request to establish the minimum maintenance road designation for the three portions of roads in Compton Township and forwarding a recommendation of approval to the Board of County Commissioners. Again, I would be happy to answer any questions you may have and we do have Kevin with us to help answer those questions. Commissioner Ashford, thank you, Avery. And now I invite Kevin Sontag, Douglas County Surveyor to comment. Kevin Sontag, County Surveyor. Um, uh, the only thing that I'll, I will just reiterate on these is that the roads um, are currently full maintenance. Uh, they have not been maintained in a very long time. They should have been declared minimum maintenance a number of years ago. Um, like many things, uh, they fall through the cracks and they just kind of, they, they never uh, seem to get done until someone makes a push for it. Um, that is what we are currently doing here. Uh, even though these roads are all currently full maintenance, no residences currently take access from these segments of road, uh, therefore making these very prime candidates for uh, uh, the minimum maintenance designation. If there are any property owners who own property along these segments of roads who one day in the future would like to build a residence off of these segments can ask the township for a reversal uh, like our previous item where, uh, where a road goes from minimum maintenance back to full maintenance. Uh, there would be a uh, improvement that would need to be made to the physical road. 
um, that may be paid for by the landowner or the township or some combination thereof. Um, but if that ever does come up, that uh, what we are doing for for these three roads currently uh, is not set in stone forever. Property owners can ask for reversal at some point if they would like. Um, but uh, at, at this point, it doesn't. It, it does not make sense to keep these roads the way they are as full maintenance roads. The township has no desire to upgrade them at this point to travelable roads. Uh, calling the minimum maintenance makes the most sense. Um, so once again, thank you to the commissioners for hearing the item tonight, and um, I'm here to answer any other questions. Ashford, thank you. And thank you for commenting on the sort of wider implications of some of these minimum uh, road, minimum maintenance road designations. I think that's very helpful. Um, Kyle, can I ask if there are any members of the public in the chambers or online that wish to comment? Kyle Covey with planning. There's nobody in the room to comment on this item. And I don't see any hands going up on Zoom either. All right, then I'll bring it back to the commission for questions and comments. Commissioner Carter. David Carter, Commissioner. I, I guess this is a question from Mr. Sontag about these gates at the uh, ends of these road segments. Uh, it seems like an odd um, occurrence that these gates were constructed without um, you know, authorization or permitting on public roads uh, at some point after maintenance just kind of stopped. I mean, th that doesn't seem like something that just happens. Is this a, I guess I have two questions. One, is this a common occurrence? Um, and second, you know, assuming all of this gets uh, approved, um, what, what would be your expectation? I noticed that the staff report says that, you know, a study would be, it would be engaged for the proper placement of the gates. Would these likely be moved? What's, what's your understanding of that? I, I will say that gates going across uh, public, uh, open public roads is a rare occurrence, but these are not the only three cases uh, in the county. There have been others. Uh, it is, it is um, very easy for a property owner to have uh, a road that no one seems to use much anymore to put gates on the end of it to try to just keep... Um, uh, you could call it the riffraff out, uh, people that they don't want uh, tearing up the roads with uh, ATVs or, or dumping trash uh, out in the middle of their property um, through using this open public roadway. So it doesn't happen very, very much, but when it does happen, it is on situations like this where the roads have fallen into disrepair and a property owner kind of takes it upon themselves without realizing that there are statutory requirements for installing a gate across an open public roadway. Um, so that is something that we will be working with the township uh, at the end of this minimum maintenance process um, to uh, try to legalize the gates that are there uh, or uh, legalize a placement of a gate in a slightly different location uh, to keep the general public off of the what would be then minimum maintenance roads. Uh, the one gate location of, of these three roads, we have six gates, one on each end of the three roads. The one gate that will more than likely move would be at the north end of N, uh, uh, sorry, the north end of E400. Uh, the current gate is very close 
to the uh, existing residential entrance that is on the north side of E400 Road. Uh, the township would like that gate to be pushed south approximately 50 to 60 feet. Uh, the township would like to improve that small little stub uh, so that they will have a um, basically a T-shape uh, between the road segments and the driveway to that residence for turning around large vehicles, uh, fire trucks, uh, graders, uh, things of that nature, large vehicles that need kind of a hammerhead shaped turnaround. Uh, currently, once they get to the west end of the travelable section of and of E400, they have to back down the road because they don't have a turnaround. So that gate location will more than likely move. And you can actually see that in the legal description for the E400 road asking to be minimum maintenance. Uh, it does go south 60 feet from the east-west segment uh, so that they can have a stretch of, of open full maintenance road that they can put some gravel down, improve, and allow a big vehicle to uh, turn around. Um, and then that's where the minimum maintenance segment would start going south and that is also where um, they hope the legal gate will be placed once we get through the gate process so um have i answered your questions uh satisfactorily uh very uh, very very much so thank you very much David. you're very welcome thanks hi tanya boy um i just have a really quick question if that's okay sure Kevin, um, if there are uh, pedestrians out in the county, say there are neighbors like in close proximity and they want to be able to go past the gate and walk down the road, did they have the ability to do that with the gate there? Technically, it would still be an open public road. So if they wanted to climb the gate, uh, I do believe they would be in their legal right to do so. Um, most of the gates uh, that you would see put up are ones that someone could step over, a typical agricultural gate that they could climb over. Uh, they would be there to stop vehicles, uh, ATVs uh, and such from going down. But because it is still an open public road that's just not, just not being maintained, since it's open and public, the public could still technically use it. Um, I don't think there's anything restricting them from climbing the gate as long as they stay within the road right of way. If they left the road right of way and went on to public, sorry, if they left the public roadway and left the right of way onto private property to get around the gate, that is when they would be uh, trespassing. Thank you. There will be, uh, uh, as part of the, the gate process, there will be uh, a sign posted on the gates that uh, have phone numbers to the proper entities that have keys to any locks that would be put on the gate. So if someone did have a actual reason to be there, like if they lived, uh, if they had a, a, a you know, farm ground past the gate, if they didn't already have a key, which they, they probably will, but if they actually have a valid reason to go down there, there will be phone numbers for the township or the sheriff, possibly the public works department that they could contact to get access through the gate. Um, so if someone had a, a valid reason, they would be able to, to get through it. Mr. Thomas. Uh, Charlie Thomas, Commissioner. Uh, essentially, the gate says this is not public property. That is the message that's given, even though the reality is that it is public property. Um, I have seen other 
several other minimum maintenance roads with no gate. What is the reasoning? And I was concerned about your use of the word riffraff, but the reason for that gate, since it is public property. The reason for the gate is simply to only allow people who have a valid reason to cross the gate uh, to, to allow them to do that. Uh, people who own property behind the gate, uh, someone who, you know, a renter or a farmer uh, who's leasing the ground or farming the ground. Um, so it stops a general person who, uh, who, who doesn't have a valid reason from, from getting through it. But it does, you know, the, 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 the gate itself might kind of scream, this is a closed road, but the signage does not say, you know, road has been vacated or, or something that, that is clearly defining this as a closed road because the road does technically remain open uh, and is public. Um, it just keeps uh, the only people from using the road behind the gate to the ones that have a valid reason. Does that help? Commissioner Thomas, no. <laughs> um, out of all of the minimum maintenance roads in Douglas County, how many would you say have are gated? I don't have a number for you, but I, I would say that it is um, well less than 50% of them. Most minimum maintenance roads are not gated. Uh, usually gates arise because uh, they are having some sort of active problem. Um, for instance, we are actually going through a gate process currently um, for a road in Kanwaka Township. And the only reason it came up was because they had people driving up and down a minimum maintenance road uh, with uh, ATVs and they were causing big ruts uh, in, in the roadway, causing damage to the roadway that wasn't maintained very well to begin with, but was still allowing access to farmers and, and, and the people who actually own ground there. Uh, the, uh, the people who were causing the damage were not property owners along this road. So usually the gates, um, the, the, the conversation started about them because of a very specific reason. Um, they usually do not come automatically with minimum maintenance roads. Uh, like I said, I don't have a good number for you, but if I had to guess, I would say we probably have less than two dozen uh, legal gates approved by county resolution in the entire county. Charlie Thomas, Commissioner, again, uh, how long has these gates been there again? Was it 10 years? Uh, Kevin Sontag, County Surveyor. I don't know the, the amount of time that's been there simply because um, the, it's, it's not like the gates were put up by the township. They were just kind of put up by property owners at some point. Um, in fact, the township may not have even known about it for, uh, for a while after they were installed. Um, so they, they have been up for a very significant amount of time and no one has uh, made any complaints about it. And that's one of the reasons that they usually stay, um, even though they're not technically uh, legal because they haven't been approved by the county commission. Um, if there's been no complaints, uh, it's usually just a sleeping dog that gets uh, to be left alone. Uh, Commissioner Thomas, again, I, Kevin, I appreciate your willi willingness to uh, answer as best you can uh, Absolutely. about the road. So thank you. You're very welcome. 
Commissioner Ashworth. I'm going to um, let the commissioners chew on this, but I do want to know that I will get to, we do have a neighbor um, that will have a comment shortly, but I'll let the commissioners finish chewing this over first. Commissioner Shanklin. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Uh, ju just to follow on this subject, uh, it appears to me that we have an open and de dedicated public roadway um, and a legal right-of-way uh, possessed by the county, but for no apparent reason. Why does the county want to continue the right-of-way and not just abandon it to the adjoining property owners? Uh, right-of-way is a very precious commodity. Um, you never know when there might be a good reason that you will need it. Um, it could be that in 40, 50, 60 years, uh, perhaps development has changed in a way where it would be beneficial to open up uh, one of these segments of road. Um, for instance, um, uh, we'll, we'll say E400 road, um, if you needed to get from County Route 1029, which is N2100 Road, up to the what's called the Scenic River Road, uh, E2190 Road, um, you do have to go uh, at least a mile in each direction uh, to get from uh, one road to the other if you're on E400 Road to begin with. Uh, you have to go, uh, I believe, east a mile or west um, much more than a mile. Uh, it could be that development changes and you want to have that road reopened so that there's another way of getting from uh, uh, one road to the other and having that right of way already there that can then just be improved without having to buy the right of way back from the property owners uh, is a great asset. Uh, right of way is not only expensive, uh, but uh, there are a lot of times where property owners are not willing to give it up. Uh, so once you have right of way, you need a really good reason to give it up. Um, if you can just declare it a minimum maintenance road and still hold on to it, uh, the minimum maintenance designation does absolve the township from any type of liability from uh, traveling public, traveling along the road. Uh, they no longer have to maintain that road. Uh, it is basically something they can just keep in their back pocket. Plus, and plus it does give access to uh, the, the property owners to get from one end to the other. For instance, on E300 Road, one of the property owners owns property on the south end of E300 Road and the north end of E300 Road, but doesn't own the land in between. And he actually does use E300 Road to get from one to the other uh, on, a, on an all-terrain vehicle to get from one farm uh, ground to the other. Um, so... Uh, that particular property owner has a very good reason that he wants that public road still open, even if it's not being maintained. Um, so I think the best way to summarize it is, is that right of way is precious. Uh, we've already got it. Uh, there is no real good reason to give it up uh, at this point, um, as long as we have this minimum maintenance designation available. Thank you. You're welcome. Commissioner Ashworth, um, are there any other commissioners that have a comment at this time? If not, I would like to give um, uh, Mr. Nigel Locke uh, an opportunity to speak on this issue as a neighbor to this property. You have um, three minutes, please, sir. Great, thank you. Uh, first question, I had two quick questions. Uh, so the first one, once a road maintenance, um, if I were to desire to access for a development of a house on the road, 
let's minimum maintenance that process, which I just witnessed in the earlier item to reverse that and bring that back to regular road. Obviously, there's a question of bringing the, the road up to code, which is my second question. But the actual process to go from minimum back to a regular road has to come through here with this process. But is that something that can be objected to by a neighbor, given that the right of way was there, it was a road? Or is this more a question of just need to uh, bring a road back up to code, if you like? Commissioner Ashworth, is that um, is that is that basically your comments to ask that question? Because I can pitch that to uh, Kevin Sontag. Yes, that. I wasn't sure who. Okay, thank you very much, um, Kevin Sontag. Would you be able to answer that question? Yes, yes, I can, uh, Mr. Locke. Uh, there would it, it is the same process to go from full to minimum as it is minimum to full maintenance. Uh, there are three places, three meetings that the public does have a opportunity to object. Uh, that would be a township meeting, the planning commission meeting, and the board of county commissioner meeting. Um, they do have, uh, the public does have a chance to come and object to it. Um, and then the, uh, uh, the, the township planning commission and board of county commissioners can of course take that under advisement. Um, so yes, it, it will go through the same process as we're kind of going through now. That is correct. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth, thank you. We've learned quite a lot about minimum <laughs> designation this evening. <laughs> so um, that's actually all been helpful. Is there any, any other comments, um, particularly picking up from uh, Mr. Locke's comments that the commissioners have. Can I state my second question? Do I have Oh, time? I'm sorry. I didn't realize you had a second question. So with regard to uh, bringing a piece of road up that is in disrepair, impossible right now, um, you mentioned, Kevin, the, the cost on that fully on the landowner or the township. What governs where that cost falls? There is a state statute, and I apologize for not being able to cite it at the moment. Uh, there is a state statute that says if a road has not been maintained for a certain number of years, that the cost of the uh, improvements to the road does fall on the landowner. Now, that doesn't mean that the township can't jump in if they feel like uh, they want to be a part of the process. Uh, a township would have every right to come in and say, you know what, we want this road to be full maintenance. This will improve the road network. Well, we will actually just pay for it all. Or it could be that they say, well, we'll pay half and you pay half. Uh, it will be completely up to the negotiation uh, between the property owner asking for the improvement uh, and the township. Um, so uh, it is... Um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing if I can find the statute real quick here, but, um, but, but it is, it, like I said, it is, it is statutory that, um, here it is. I, I it's, it looks like it's Kansas statute 68-115. And, um, that kind of lays out, um, and it looks like a, a, it's a 20 year time frame, which we are, we are past that because it does look like it hasn't been maintained since the 1990s. Um, so 68-115 uh, does lay that out. Um, so uh, if that is something you do wish to do uh, in the future, um, uh, the, the first thing that I would suggest is to talk with the township and see what their thoughts are on it. Um, 
and um, and go from there. Uh, I do want to also add that the cost of the upgrading of the road may fall on the landowner, but by the statute, uh, once the road is improved and acceptable, the township says that yes, we we have improved this road to the point where we are comfortable with it being used for general the general public traveling it. it then the cost of the maintenance uh, into the future does fall on the township. That is where the cost of the uh, to the property owner does end. So once uh, once it is reopened as a full maintenance road and, and improved and accepted, uh, then the township takes over the maintenance and the, the cost of it. Thank you. You're welcome. Right. Thank you very much. I'm going to bring this back to the commission. Any last questions, comments, or motions, please? Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I just have to say this is making my head spear. I mean, this, <laughs> is, this, is, this is worse than sidewalks. Um, we're essentially turning public road into private roads accessible only by key holders until they've been there long enough. And then we put all the burden on bringing the road back up if the if the um, township and county commission decided we want it again, the burden of bringing that road back up to minimum standards is on adjacent property owners. Like we have, you know, adjacent property owners have to maintain sidewalks and then the county takes it over again. And I suppose you get rid of the gates, but I mean, this is just, and I understand that you want to hold on to the land. So it almost seems that you've got a calculation the county hopes that it sits unused for 20 years <laughs> in the event that we want it, you know, down the later on and, um, and put the burden on property owners or a public road. So I, I'm just, say, just saying every, every comment that's come out has just added more layers to trying to understand this. And, and I have to say, this is the most in-depth we've gone into minimum maintenance roads and ever. And now I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about it for a while. So thanks a lot. Um, I really don't have any objection to this. I'm just pointing out that these, this is just absurd. And I imagine some of these statutes are pretty old that have never been revisited or updated. So there's probably an interesting history here we haven't actually heard to. Uh, Kevin Sontag, County Surveyor. Um, uh, this is definitely the most questions I've ever had at a commission meeting regarding minimum maintenance roads. So it, it's it's usually a lot more straightforward than this. And I, I'm I'm glad to share knowledge. It's it's always a, a good thing to uh, educate others. Uh, just to, to talk about the the, the statutes, uh, the the statute that I cited earlier, the 68-115, that talks about the cost of the uh, uh, improvement going to the property owner asking for it. it. It does date back to 1911, so it is an, it is an oldie. Um, it has been around for a very long time. Um, uh, I, I will say that um, the more that we do these uh, kind of cleanup issues to make the roads match the status of the road match how they're actually being maintained. Um, the more that we do these, the fewer and fewer we will ever have to do them again. Um, there, there will be more. There are other roads that fall under this category where they are 
full maintenance but not being maintained. And there are other roads, uh, very few at this point, but still a few that um, are minimum maintenance but actually being maintained uh, simply because um, uh, the when when the like in this particular case when the roads fell into disrepair they didn't do what they were supposed to do, which was called the minimum maintenance at the time, and we're paying the price for that laziness now by having to fix it and uh, answer all these questions. So uh, if roads, uh, you know, once we get all of these uh, current situations cleaned up, if a road ever did need to be changed from a full maintenance to a minimum maintenance, uh, it would be because the township wanted to currently stop maintaining a road and not because they did it 20 years ago. Um, so once all this cleanup is done, the situations will be a lot more straightforward. Um, and um, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're just, um, when you know, you, you can't clean up if there hasn't been a mess already out there for you. So um, it's messy, but we're, we're doing our best. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission. You can look into the statute 68-126 and specifically about fences across public highways. So, I, and that, again, 1911. And I'll just note sidewalks are 1908. So these things were pretty concurrent when the ideas came out in a state legislature. And it probably follows national trends, but these are ripe for revisiting. <laughs> at some time but uh but thanks thanks for the education tonight you're welcome yes, thank you commissioner ashworth i believe kevin sontag has just probably invited himself to a mid-month education session or study session cheap hourly rates <laughs> so um i'm sure we will hear more about that since it's such a juicy topic so but for the issue at hand uh, commissioner thomas Mr. Thomas, one last thing, Kevin, uh, and, and this may be beating a dead horse, um, and I apologize for not going out and looking at these particular minimum maintenance roads. I was thinking uh, um, not far from uh, Greg's, Commissioner Greg's house, there are a couple of minimum maintenance roads that I have gone down uh, hunting morel mushrooms. And I'm thinking, had a gate been uh, put across one particular road, that would have said to me, Charlie Thomas, you may not go there unless you call the sheriff, unless you call the township. And that concerns me that we have let private individuals make the decision to close down a public road by putting their gate across this road. Um, are we in essence giving permission, and I could name names close to Commissioner Shanklin, are we giving permission to these individuals to throw up a gate and say, Charlie, do not go hunting for morels, that is my private property. Uh, well, let me clarify, uh, Kevin Sontag County Surveyor, let me see if I can clarify a little bit of that. Uh, number one, the gates are not approved for the property owners to place the gates. They are there for the township to place the gates. So the gates are maintained by the township uh, after that, um, and they are not, um, uh, they are not privately owned by a property owner. 
Uh, the gates are also approved by resolution. I, I, you had mentioned the statute there, uh, 68, I think it's dash 126. Uh, so there is a public process to the approving of the gates. Um, so uh, they get approved by the Board of County Commission, uh, which means the public does technically have a chance to voice opposition to it uh, if they feel like uh, they don't want the gates there. Um, we do send out letters to any of the property owners that are along the road that uh, will be gated off. We don't send them out to anyone else because at, at what point do you stop? Um, so uh, so there, there are some owners notified by mail, but uh, I do believe we place a notice in the public paper to the general public saying that there will be a hearing and a resolution talking about a gate uh, at an upcoming commission meeting. So the public does have a chance to chime in if they uh, so want to. Um, so uh, it is an open public process, and uh, I think you're right. It does kind of give the impression that it isn't public. Um, it's it's only you know a technicality that that um, that it does that. It doesn't openly do that. It's it's just kind of um, gives the impression. Um, but by the uh, by the letter of the law and the letter of the statutes, it's um, um, you know still remaining an open public road. Commissioner Thomas, again, thank you, Kevin. I, I appreciate your uh, wading into this uh, quicksand, this morass on uh, low maintenance roads. You're very welcome. And, and technically, we're, we weren't even supposed to talk about gates tonight. It was just supposed to be minimum maintenance. They're, they're technically separate issues. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, happy to do it. They're very, they're very tied in together. The, the public works uh, department very greatly feels that you, you shouldn't have gates without a minimum maintenance road. So they are kind of tied together in that route. But, but there are minimum maintenance roads that don't have gates. So they're kind of tied one way, but not the other. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm always happy to, to share information. So. Right. Kevin, thank you. You're welcome. Mr. Ashworth, thank you. And on that, I will try to steer this back to the issue at hand, um, the minimum maintenance designation. Um, so gates aside uh, for a future meeting or something someday, um, any further commentary questions or motions with regard to the item before us? Commissioner Carter. Madam Vice Chair, I'm prepared to make a motion uh, of David Carter, Commissioner, uh, if, if the time is right, and I think maybe it is. Um, I would move that we approve the request to establish the minimum maintenance road designation MM-21-00003 for three roads in Lecompton Township, East 300 Road between North 2150 Road and North 2190 Road, East 400 Road between 2146N and 2199 N and North 2000 Road between 126 E and 175 E and forward a recommendation of approval to the Board of County Commissioners. Thank you. Do we have a second? Commissioner Carpenter. Any further discussion? Seeing none, Jeff, can I ask for a uh, roll call, please? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. 
Commissioner Rexrow? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Thank you, Commissioner Ashworth. Thank you. And thank you for the contribution from the public. Um, that was very educational for everybody. So before we turn to our final um, item tonight, which is the study session, update on county zoning regulations and rural land use, I'd like to propose just a quick break. Uh, just a few minutes, what time is it? 8.08, and, you know, quick five minute break, is that long? Can I just do that and then we just break? Okay, good, all right, five minutes. <laughs> You ready? Yes. All right. Commissioner Ash, room, room is ready when you are. Thank you. It's Commissioner Ashworth. Welcome back um, to our planning commission meeting, Monday, July 26th. We are on, uh, on to our study session now uh, that will be led by Tanya Voigt, Douglas County Zoning Director, for a discussion on the update on county zoning regulations and rural land use. Take it away, Tanya. Hi everyone, Tanya Voigt, Zoning Director. So tonight we're gonna to try to break this into two separate parts. Um, back in the early part of 2021, we met with the Board of County Commissioners to kind of give them an update on the permits that our office um, processes and kind of where we are with those permits. And so we're gonna give just a little bit of information because these are permits that you guys approve, which are conditional use permits, site plans, those type of things, and kind of let you know what we're currently working on and kind of where we are in that process. Um, and then after that, um, we provided, I think, um, hopefully had some time to look at it over the weekend, some rural parcel data, some inventory data that will run through fairly quickly. So hopefully it'll be a little um, bit of a, a quick night for you guys compared to ones you've been in recently, but um, we're just excited to share. And Ben's gonna give, he's our code enforcement officer and he's going to give a breakdown um, at the beginning here. Uh, good evening, commissioners. Um, I just, uh, I don't know if I can follow up the minimum maintenance conversation, but I'll do my best. I've got a little presentation that I'm going to try to share uh, that might make it a little bit more entertaining. Let me know when it's on. Can you You're all up. see that? So, um, Enterprise in Douglas County is broken into four categories, and tonight we're going to review the, those four primary categories. Uh, so the first category is home-based businesses. Uh, we have type one and type two home business permits that serve the small and growing businesses in the county. These permits enable the county to administratively set standards and guidance for small-scale ventures. This model funnels uh, directly into conditional use permits as they grow over time. So conditional use permits, as I'm sure most of you are very well aware of, um, are CUPs for short, and they are permits that require discretionary approval from the county. CUPs consent to a use not allowed by right in a particular zone. The permit application is approved under a set of conditions determined through a transparent and public process. And then we have site plans that allow Douglas County to set conditions on a property and ensure the proposed development meets zoning standards for the district it's located in. 
Site plans are a scale are a scaled drawing that show the structures, proposed uses, landscaping, septic, parking, lighting, and easements for a parcel of land. Compliance requirements are also documented on the site plan. And then we have agritourism, and we we believe that agritourism is uh, the intersection of agriculture and tourism. When the public visits rural areas for recreation, education, enjoyment, entertainment, adventure, or relaxation. So we're gonna dive a little deeper into home businesses. So we currently have 133 permitted home-based businesses in the unincorporated portion of Douglas County. Uh, first of all, we have the type one home, business, home businesses, which are low impact with two or fewer non-resident employees. And uh, they are based out of the residence. Douglas County currently has 67 permitted type one home businesses. Type two home businesses operate out of an accessory building with four or fewer non-resident employees. Type two create a, a greater impact on the neighborhood and generally have more conditions to operate. We have 66 permitted type two home occupations currently. Um, in addition to that, we have 83 unpermitted home businesses that we know of that are operating in the county. Um, and we're gradually addressing those, um, but that, that takes time. We did uh, about 15 in, in the last six months and um, e each one of those can um, create a lot of time. One, one, of, one of them has already gone through a CUP process and more are coming down the line. So if we were to bring all 83, send them all letters at once, um, it would be an unmanageable volume for the planning commission, the planners, our, our staff, and board of county commissioners. Uh, as the business becomes too large or um, is proposed at too large of a, a size, then we have the conditional use permit. Conditional use permits serve larger scale and higher impact operations. The permit process establishes conditions to minimize impact of the operation on the surrounding area. Condition, as we discussed tonight, um, a lot of the conditions typically revolve around dust palliative, road repair, lighting, signage compliance, site, camp, site plan compliance, building code compliance, renewals, parking, screening, drainage, state permits and licenses, hours of operation and noise. And a lot of these, when we're looking at them from a code enforcement perspective, we're thinking about, you know, a year down the line, two years, five years, and we're trying to forecast what that impact is going to be for the, the neighbors. Managing the approved CUP conditions, closing expired CUPs, and resolving known violations is a high priority. Um, I'm going to jump back up to the, the graph. So we currently have 375 CUP is on our list. Um, that, that list has not been cleaned up in a really long time. Around 185 of those are active. Uh, we, we know that at least 120 are expired. And out of that list, 27 are um, known violations of the CUP. And 43 are duplicates where a new CUP replaced the old one. Um, so working through that list, is a high priority. However, zoning and codes is not currently staffed to manage the workload that that cleanup initiative will create.
Then we have site plans and site plans um, come along when the property is already zoned for, for that use, such as a general industrial or a business use, a general business. Site plans allow Douglas County to set conditions on a property and ensure the proposed development meets zoning standards for the district it is located in. Uh, we have 261 documented site plans, 143 of those are before 2009 and they are not on a very good list at this point. Site plans prior to 2009 will require more extensive research and review to complete our database. All site plans will require a detailed review to ensure that the uses match what is site planned. This review is a goal of the zoning and code staff and will require a coordination with Lawrence PDS. This review would likely lead to an unmanageable level of planning work, updating site plans. And then lastly, we have agritourism. Agritourism enables the residents of Douglas County and the state of Kansas to connect in a personal way with the land and the farmers who protect Douglas County's most cherished and valued asset. We're proud to have 13 registered agritourism operations in Douglas County and hope to register many more in the coming years. Douglas County GIS has created a story map to help the public easily find them. Uh, typical operations include UPIC operations, um, farm stays, uh, nursery tours, horseback riding, pumpkin patches. Um, I'd like to click here and just show you our, our website real quick. Can you all see that? So this is our website that introduces the public to our approved agritourism sites. And as you scroll down, you can see the map of the county and you can click on a certain location that's close to you and figure out where you'd like to visit that weekend. We have Big Spring Berries. You can click the website and you can learn more about them. And it's a way that we um, can help feature agritourism operations in our county and try to attract more people to their business. So what, what comes next? Uh, Douglas County Zoning and Codes was recently approved for a planner position to assist with planning review and open space initiatives. The new planner will also assist with evaluating CUP and site plan compliance. As we work through the cleanup process, the planning commission will see an increase in conditional use permits site plans and some type two home businesses. Unpermitted home businesses will continue to be addressed gradually in groups by business type. Uh, we would welcome any of your feedback and questions as we work to manage more than 800 varied business operations in unincorporated, unincorporated Douglas County. That's the end of our first part. Thank you, Ms. Commissioner Ashford. Thank you, Mr. Harris. We're trying oh, to get to Tanya, I believe, right? Would it be appropriate to go ahead and dive in and then we can just answer questions at the end? Is that okay? Yes. Okay. Okay, can everyone see the screen? Yep, great. 
So I'm Tanya Voigt, the Zoning Director for Douglas County. Um, I hope everyone had some time over the weekend to look over the data we provided on rural parcels. We've spent some time just kind of absorbing the numbers and trying to understand what they mean. During the zoning regulation update, we had several requests to prepare county parcel inventory. GIS was able to provide some current data for us, um, and that will help us utilize the information as a baseline moving forward and to grasp a better understanding of where Douglas County stands in relationship to development. We're excited to be able to continue to study this information and use it as a tool when making future land use decisions. With AG1 zoning and AG2 zoning, under the current zoning regulations, we are a, uh, better able to track parcel data. It does make it much easier for us. Prior to that, almost the entire county was owned agriculture um, other than general business and industrial zoning. Farmland preservation is a comprehensive plan goal that we've worked to implement to sustain Douglas County's agricultural industry. One of the big picture questions we ask ourselves daily is sustaining enough and is there room or a way to expand Douglas County's agricultural industry? Is that or should it be a goal? And is 20 acre agricultural residential density enough? We know the importance of protecting high quality agricultural soils for future production, but we have not completely restricted development in these areas. Local farmers understand that growth increases land values, but development congests rural roads, causes subdivisions to sprout on edges of fields, often creating leasing and farm interest issues, and produces enough general clamor to impede farmers' ability to efficiently participate in a county farm economy. According to the USDA 2017 Census of Agriculture, Douglas County had 998 farms accounting for 230,000 acres and about $66 million in crop and livestock sales in 2017. We will be able to compare this to the new census data soon, and we're afraid that those numbers have probably gone down significantly. We provided some basic rural parcel data during the zoning regulation process. If any of you were at the zoning regulation meetings, you would have seen this table. Um, it was really helpful to kind of just kind of wrap our head around how many rural parcels we have in the county and how big they are. Um, this was super, this was the first start of like trying to determine um, really what agricultural zoning means to us and um, what type of density we really wanted to focus on. And, you know, I, I think you guys have seen this table too, but I think it's good to provide background for new members. Previous to the new zoning regulations, land splits were done administratively because all of the residential lots had the same zoning, agriculture, which meant that a one acre, three acre, five acre, or 160 acre lot was all zoned the same. Because of that, when a property started dividing land, it was administratively approved with no notification to neighboring landowners and little opportunity to control the number of lots created and look at things for the highest and best use of the land. With added zoning districts and a rezone process for properties dividing smaller than AG1, neighbor notification, public hearings, and county commission are now involved, which is a huge step forward. So just an example, um, when we go back, we could see, um, we put a moratorium on certificates of survey. I know most people here remember that. Um, that was kind of just because the numbers just kept increasing and then we had a really shocking jump of land splits in the county. We had 60 certificates of survey in 2018 and that sparked 
bringing that data forward and uh, ultimately a moratorium for um, seven months or so um, while we worked on the zoning regulations. I think it's important when we look like in 2018 at the number of certificates of survey, it says 60, but that doesn't tell us how many buildable lots that created. So we know there were 60 surveys, but how many lots were in each of those surveys? And so when you look at this one, I do believe it was too big to put in one certificate of survey. It may have taken two or three, but when you think about that, out of those 60, this was one and this was, you know, one or two, and it was 26 lots or 25 lots. And actually see the number added up here, but it, they, um, some of them were rather large and created a lot of residential building lots. And then we also discussed the moratorium was on cluster developments and rural certificates of survey because our rural certificates of survey were happening at such a rapid pace and land was being split so quickly and at such a high density that they began to look like subdivisions, even though really in the zoning regulations and the subdivision regulations, we were saying we were prohibiting subdivisions, that they weren't allowed. Um, but when you look at this map, it looks very similar to, to a subdivision. So what we did with the new zoning regulations is we essentially um, kind of eliminated um, a lot of that certificate of survey and rural certificate of survey pressure because we created the AG1 zoning district. But I think it's important to note that more parcels are being created through the survey process than are built on annually. So we can't just base it on building permit numbers because the land is splitting at a greater rate than what people are pulling building permits. So we can assume if it's buildable and it's gone through the survey process, it will be built on eventually. So while certificates of survey and cluster developments are on the decline, rural agricultural subdivision surveys, which are 20 acres or greater, um, those are on the rise by quite a lot. Um, this year will be around 90 to 100 land splits, creating you know, 90 to 100 buildable lots this year. Um, we're currently right now, I think at about 50. Um, we have 25 recorded and 24 pending that are still going through the process. We're halfway through the years, so we're just estimating. Um, last year in 2020, uh, the regulations were adopted in February, but the moratorium wasn't lifted until I think April. And so um, we had 60 buildable lots created in 2020, but then keep in mind that we had a moratorium on that part of the year. So we're just kind of trying to take this data, absorb it and figure out what it means, you know, to the county and to us. When you look at the picture of the certificate of survey here, this is an example of an ag boundary survey. Um, and it's just a snippet of a portion of it without all the other language. This is kind of what we expected. So here's a 50 acre parcel created and a 30 and another 30. Um, oh, and another thing that I think is really important to note is that the number of rural parcels, they do not reflect the surveys if new deeds have not been filed. So when we go online and we're looking um, at a parcel, if a new deed has not been filed um, and we don't have any, if, if we're unable to trigger or know that a certificate of survey had been filed there, if no deed has been filed in GIS, it's still showing as a large parcel. So you could have 160 acres that has been split up, but deeds have not started being recorded yet. And so we don't actually count those numbers as splits or as buildable lots because 
the new deeds haven't been filed yet. And that's been just kind of a problem. We've just, um, we have parcel data now, but it doesn't mean that it's perfect data because there are eight, we run into them quite often where we'll pull up a parcel, find an old survey, a deed hadn't been filed, but the land split was done legally at the time it was split. And so they just need to file the deed. Um, and then once that deed filed, then it shows up in our GIS program so we can see the land split. So um, while this information is not perfect, it does help guide us and it helps give us some ideas. Um, but there are many surveys out there that we are not seeing because these have not been filed. Um, oh, and another note on, uh, so when we think about the 2018-60 certificates of survey were created, um, I, because all those lots have not started, not all of them have started selling, those haven't all started changing hands and new deeds haven't been filed. Um, it makes it really kind of difficult to figure out like how many lots that actually created, how many buildable lots. So what we would need to do is go to, go to the register deed site, somehow do some type of search, pull up all of the certificates of survey that were filed that year, and then just individually count all the RDPs. Um, and we, we do intend to do that. And we would like to have kind of some more information about the number of parcels created, but we have not done that yet. Um, because we had parcel data during the zoning regulations, we kind of knew um, we had parcel data from 2004, 2009. So every five years, 2014. Um, and then we were able to um, do 2020 and 2021 just on our own. Um, so we do know that Kind of the number of parcels being created are on the up. We were averaging around 30 and then 40 and then 60 and now we're you know upwards of 90 now um, annually. And I think you guys will see when we were just trying to kind of interpret the data, um, figure out what that means to us with approximately 50,000 acres in the floodplain and the floodway um, when you run the calculate calculations on all of the land that's vacant, that's AG1 land that has not been built on, um, and you subtract out the floodplain and the floodway, we would be 100% parceled out in 50 years, which means that um, we would be maxed unless rezone started taking place or we allowed people to build on smaller density. Um, so that may require a regulation change, allowing 10 acre lots, and then people continue to divide. But we will be completely maxed out in 50 years. And then when we assume the floodplain constraints, which is that 50,000 acres, we are will, that actually gets reduced to 28 years. So with the floodplain and the floodway, we are down to 28 years left of inventory in Douglas County. And that would be dividing at AG1 zoning requirements. So one residence per 20 years. Something that we didn't anticipate, but that we are seeing are agricultural boundary surveys um, that are a little bit concerning on our part, but we understand we've taken really good steps. We just want the, the public and, and the planning commission, the board of county commission to be aware. So this is an example, and we have several of 160 acres that was divided into 20 acre lots, almost all of it, which all the hash dotted areas, prime soil. So almost all of it is prime soil um, and there's some wetlands on it as well. But um, that was something that maybe we didn't quite anticipate. I think we more so assume that if someone wanted to build a house, they'd carve 20 acres out of a larger parcel to build a house. 
but we didn't necessarily anticipate that an entire section of ground would be converted to 20 acre lots. So 63% of rural parcels in the county have been built on. 37% are vacant. This has resulted in some loss of commercial large-scale farming, um, some loss of contiguous large lot agricultural production, and it's kind of forced the transition of Douglas County into more small-scale specialty growing to continue agricultural uses in the community. On our AG2 zoning, 67% um, of the county parcels are under 20 acres and are zoned AG2. We currently have 4,341 4, parcels that are built on, and that makes up about 21% of Douglas County. Um, currently 1,763 vacant AG2 zoned parcels are not built upon. Um, so we do have a decent inventory of AG2 zoned parcels that are vacant. Now, the thing that we don't know about those is we haven't done all the research. So we haven't pulled up all the AG2 zoned parcels and then broke that down even further to subtract ones that are landlocked or ones that are completely inundated in floodplain that can't be buildable or, you know, any of those type of land constraints. We just know kind of that rough number. We don't know how many of those are buildable or not buildable. Um, I guess the question that we, you know, we wanted to try to figure out during this process is, do we have enough and do we need more? Um, and I don't know that we have an answer, um, but it is nice to see the numbers. So this is just an example um, of kind of where we are with building permits. We're staying relatively steady. Um, I just pulled the last few years just as a trend. Um, so we're, you know, averaging between 70 and 80 building permits a year. And that's just residences. So that doesn't include accessory buildings or any of that other stuff. Um, but um, when uh, we pulled, we wanted to try to think um, or compare it to a county that has similar kind of urban sprawl pressure that is maybe also a college town, um, just something that we could compare to that's somewhat like now, Riley, the city of Manhattan is smaller than Lawrence, um, but we pulled Riley County's building permits because we were curious because Riley County um, does have a huge um, leap forward in agricultural preservation within their zoning regulations. And in their situation in 2018, they had 27 uh, residential building permits in 2019, 14 residential building permits and in 2016 residential building permits. So I just think it's worth pointing out, um, zoning does control density and um, it's up you know, to the community to decide you know, what the community's goals are um, and, and the zoning's there to then drive those goals. And um, we, I'm, I'm not here to say whether we are meeting our goals or not. Um, I have personal opinions, but I'll keep those aside. Um, I think just looking at the data is just really important for everyone, um, especially when making land use decisions. So some of the things that we really think about a lot because we see these land splits and, and we talk to farmers and we talk to developers and we talk to people wanting to build a house or people wanting to divide land um, is how do we manage that kind of 
um, residential development pressure with this farmland preservation? Um, and how do we preserve really a, ma a critical mass of farms that keep us sustained as a community? Um, and how do we preserve farmland in large contiguous blocks so that we don't have all this conflicting development? Um, how do we create a source of funding for investment in farming? How do we cre create a source of funding for land development rights if a farmer wants to develop into 20 acre lots? Um, is there some, something out there that will help provide funding to pay them the development difference to keep that from being developed? Um, how do we maintain affordable land prices for new farmers to enter farming and for existing farmers to expand their operations? How do we maintain the scenic amenities that farmland provides? And how do we manage community growth, growth and development in a carefully planned and proactive way? Um, we're, we battle these around in our head all the time, you know, trying to think about how to be better, how to suggest things, how to help guide. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a difficult topic. So we just kind of wanted to just kind of break some numbers down for you kind of let you know how we were interpreting the numbers and then we're just happy to be here and happy to answer any questions. Commissioner Shore, thank you very much, um, Tanya and Ben. Um, that's a lot to digest and I'm sure we'll have lots of questions. So who would like to get this started? See lots of pensive, thoughtful faces. Yes, Commissioner Rexrode. Sure. I had one question. This is Commissioner Rexrode. I had one question from the first part of the presentation <clears throat> talking about um, the number of home-based businesses that were in various states of non-compliance. Um, I understand that you're you have a process working through that. Is there some sort of I guess two questions? One, is there a timeline in mind by which time all of those will have been worked through? And the second question is, um, what is uh, staff doing to help these businesses that may have grown into non-compliance or for some reason found themselves there, how are they how are they helping them to get to a state, uh, get to a yes, get to a place where they're able to continue doing business? Um, so it's kind of a, a gradual process, especially when it's one that has not been reached out to before. Um, because these, the home-based business regulations were approved in 2000. And a lot of businesses that we come across just simply didn't know. So we approached them with a, a pretty general letter, just letting them know about the regulations and some of the steps and, uh, that they might need to take. And if it's too big, then we have a process for them to move into the, the CUP path. We try to approach it uh, you know, as kindly as as we can, you know, assuming positive intent. Uh, but it uh, it takes a lot of follow up back and forth with with the, the landowner, and we we don't want it to get to a point where it's a, a push and shove where it 
become something where we have to bring legal in. We want to maintain a positive relationship with them as long as we can. Does that answer your question? It does on the uh, on the position you have with uh, the Lander Commissioner Rexer again. Um, is there a timeline you're thinking about from now till some date where you anticipate being having cleared this list? Um, you know, a year ago in May, when we presented to the Board of County Commissioners, I, I had hoped that it would be a year. Uh, but it, it, it takes a lot of time, especially with our small staff of three. And uh, we've been exceptionally busy with COVID and the amount of land use questions that come in. And our team also takes all of those and floodplain, et cetera. Um, that list also in May of 2020 was 60. So as time goes, we're, we're trying to, we've moved 13 off of the list and we've added 23. So it, it's, it's growing as we're trying to, as we're identifying them and trying to catch up with, you know, 20 years of not trying to capture them all right away. I was wondering if some of the pressures of COVID had caused some additional home-based businesses to spring up just out of necessity. It has as well, and we've also approved, approved more that have reached out to us to find out what they needed to do. Good. Thank you very much. Sure. Any Commissioner Ashworth, other commissioner comments on this? Commissioner Carter. Huh. Wow. I don't, you, you read my mind. I don't have to uh, even raise my hand. Um, yeah. David Carter, commissioner. I'm not sure if this is um, a, uh, this may be a, a, a dumb question. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of inundated with this information from, um, from uh, both uh, Ben and Tanya, but um, I, I guess I would just like to ask you know, I guess especially Tanya, um, based on the in information you've pre presented here, um, what are your principal goals um, uh, over the next, you know, one to two years? I I'm trying to, um, like I said, I'm trying to digest the information. I oh, let me put it this way: How would what what principal messages would you like us to take from from this information you presented to us. Um, yeah, I'm sorry for the dumb question, but uh, you've, it's, it's and, and I don't think I did, I'm not sure if this was information that I did see over the weekend. I'm pretty sure I just saw it today. Um, so, I did not have the opportunity to review it before this meeting. And so it's just a lot to, to and I do want to, I want to hold on to this and not having been able to have the chance to look at it in advance. You know, I want to go back and really take what you've presented to us and, and really extract the most useful information that I can from. It. And again, sorry, it's kind of a dumb, dumb comment slash question. No, not at all. Um, I think, you know, we did the same. So we sat on this information for a couple weeks. Um, I think um, Karen Willie had made a request for it. We weren't quite ready to provide it because it takes a lot of just trying to absorb the data, run the numbers, um, and just kind of extrapolate 
you know, what that means to you and, and really what that means to the community and the county as a whole. And so um, we, we know there probably will be additional interpretations and, um, you know, other points that maybe we're not even thinking of. It is really complex data that a long-term planner would love. Um, but long-term planners also have the ability to focus on something long range like this. And we are so inundated in the day-to-day -day that it makes it um, challenging for us to be able to spend large amounts of time on the big picture. But it's so important to us that we, we force it and we make it happen because at the end of the day, this long range stuff is what truly matters. Um, and so we just are making it happen by will or something um, just because we care. And so I think goals for us would be using the ag sub information to continue to gather information about you know, continued land splits, because um, we really only have about a year and a half worth of data. And I don't know if that's enough. I mean, we're making some assumptions, but maybe um, in 2023, we won't have as many um, land splits. And so I think it's just, we just want to use it as a base and then keep um, forging forward with the information and making the best decisions. So that's all we're really asking out of the data component of it. As for kind of code enforcement, conditional use permits, site plans, I think what we really truly kind of wanted at the end of the day was a connection because your board makes a recommendation to the Board of County Commissioners and that um, there's a lot of pressure for development out in the county, whether that's housing development or commercial development, business development, industrial development, it's all there. And so um, we have a hard time and have always been um, not staffed probably well enough to keep hold of it and keep up with it. So when um, conditions are set and uh, admin reviews are set, we really struggle with that because this Ben has been here two year and a half, two years now, but he's our first code enforcement officer who's even been able to, um, you know, compile this data, put it into a tool that then we can use. So. I think just getting all of our spreadsheets cleaned up, knowing exactly where we are will be the first step with code enforcement and then starting the process. And I think really, you know, again, because we're small, the planner position will certainly help with going through conditional use permit site plans. That'll give Ben more time to work on home-based businesses and other code enforcement that just comes in daily, um, complaints from neighbors and those type of things. And so um, with that kind of added position, I really believe that we'll be able to at least get to a point that we have clear um, boundaries. We'll be bringing, you know, conditional use permits by back by resolution to remove them if they're expired. Um, it'll just be a lot of cleanup. Um, and the nice thing about existing businesses, even if they need to update their site plans and stuff, they've already been there. So they're not brand new applications. And so um, I think they'll be a little quicker and more efficient than a brand new one where the neighbors don't understand or know the impacts, um, you know, and are just kind of, you know, what if when they are thinking about impacts. So I think it will go. Um, I don't I don't want to we don't want to bite off more than we can chew because we did 15 um, illegal home based businesses and it created quite a storm for us to try to keep up and keep following up and meeting with the property owners and getting them on the correct path and whether that was CUP or, um, and then we don't, 
particularly want to be super heavy handed. And so we don't want to shut someone down that's been operating for 20 years unknown. Um, and so um, we're, you know, we really want to take the approach that let's work with this person and let's get them to where they need to be. Um, so just kind of, we really want to start with that person and end with that person. And so you guys see a lot more of us probably than you have before, because it's really important to us. Um, once you've kind of um, established a level of trust with someone, I think that it's important to them as well for us to continue walking them through that process. David Carter, um, Commissioner, that, that's super helpful. Tanya, thank you so much. Um, Commissioner Ashworth, um, I'll take a stab at a question. So most of the, on that theme of the home-based businesses and the violations, so currently is your list solely based on the complaint? That's how the complaint numbers, or have you found out about non-compliant businesses in other ways? Uh, when I started, I, I was given a list of 360 that we thought might be unpermitted home businesses. And part of the initial um, research was going through that list to figure out which of those were valid. Um, so that was a, a big part of the list. If they come to us as a complaint, they're a higher priority at that point. And we, we walk them through quicker. Um, but just trying to manage all of the workflow and focus on life safety, um, like violations and complaints first, and then uh, bringing in the other home businesses as we can. And if I might, one more uh, uh, observation I have is on open space. So I'm keenly interested in open space. And I know you've got a planner coming on that's gonna deal with that, plus a whole lot of other things. So it hardly seems enough. But do you have um, in mind uh, sort of what, how you would define open space in terms of how much area would qualify as open space, what kind of space would be open space, and any sort of goals as percentage of our rural landscape, any of those, any of those features that you have an idea of? Tanya Voigt, zoning director. So we do not, um, and part of that is we want the public and we want the community to set those parameters. And so we're really trying not to come in saying we need to protect floodplain. Floodplain needs to be open space or we need to put agricultural ground in that or we need more parks and we need hiking trails and we need biking trails. Um, we're really trying um, to kind of take a step back and um, we're going to do a kickoff here. I think it will be towards fall um, of this year. Uh, we do have some consultant funds as well available for the open space program to help us kind of do that long range planning, have public meetings, send out surveys, get public input and kind of feel out the public and, and what their desires are as well. There are an awful lot of things that can go into an open space program and everyone, I believe, would probably have a different answer of what they think open space should be. Um, so I think it's really just about the community setting the goals and, and prioritizing um, what they believe is most important. If I may. Ms. Ashworth, any other commissioner come up? Oh, commissioner Shanklin. 
Oh, Greg. I'm sorry, did ben, can I, just a moment, Commissioner Shaggy, do you have a response to that? Uh, ben, you had said. Uh, Jeff services. I just wanted to uh, kind of add on to what Tanya was mentioning about open space. I think this goes back to a lot of the conversations that the commission had during plan 2040 with chapter seven that you were discussing kind of a lot of that about what it looks like, the form, where and the why and the how. So for those that remember the discussion during that process, I think a lot of what we're, we talked about during that process is probably what's going to be coming up in that longer range plan coming online soon. So I think it's, it's a community discussion that, that you kind of, started in some ways with that plan and it's going to kind of continue on going forward. And, and my apologies for interrupting there. I do apologize. No, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. I didn't hear you. So uh, I apologize for talking over you. Um, but I believe I was on, it was Commissioner Shanklin that had um, raised his hand. Please, please. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, I, I have a, just a, a series of questions and comments mostly addressed to Tanya. Um, but but first of all, um, to have a rural parcel discussion um, without Karen Willie present, I think is unfortunate. Um, her the the quality of uh, you know commentary that she would have to offer, um, I, I think we shouldn't do without. And so there there ought to be some way to finish this conversation with her. Hopefully, a a, a subsequent meeting. Um, I, I guess for Tanya, has this presentation been made to the county commissioners? Um, so Tanya Boyd, zoning director, Ben's component of um, where we are with conditional use permit site plans, we utilized a lot of that information to um, request the planner position in our office. And so, um, yes, all of that information, this parcel data has not been presented to the board of county commissioners. And we do intend to do a work session with them as well. Um, this is real, relatively new information. We've only had just two weeks or so. And so, um, yes, we do plan to give this information as well to the Board of County Commission to see if this sparks anything. Um, and if not, um, then it's, you know, let's, let's collect some more data and come back at a later time. Okay. Thanks. I, I, I think that's really important. Um, the, to have this conversation without the benefit of the LISA tool um, is somewhat unsatisfying. Um, and so I wonder how quickly will we have the ability to couple uh, the understanding of the need to preserve quality agricultural soils um, with the, the information on the development of rural parcels? I think they will go hand in hand quite easily. I believe that the LISA tool will be on the August Planning Commission. Um, if I'm correct, I'm not sure. I can have Jeff confirm that. Um, but we're, I mean, we're, we're ready and, and we're, we're ready to present that data, have that information available and let you guys um, kind of see what we've created. So um, it should be very short. Um, term when you'll be seeing it. If, if there's some way for us to defer consideration of further, uh, particularly AG1 rezonings until the time when we have these tools, I think that would be great because um, we've been making a lot of decisions in the dark. And um, it, it really, 
you know, seems illogical to me. Some of the cases that we've had come before us in recent months that we've made decisions on, most of them have been deferrals, and, and we don't know uh, whether or not we've done the right thing in, in voting to preserve ag land or um, in some cases, you know, uh, once we've made our recommendation, the county has made decisions to the contrary. And we, we really don't know without those tools whether we're making good decisions or not. Um, and then um, the how-to questions that you finish your presentation with. And by the way, if, if we could get copies of your presentations, that would be really great. Um, but uh, the, the how-to questions you raise, it, to me, have to be coupled with, you know, to me, it's, it's a two-pronged solution, um, a two-pronged analysis that we're facing. And uh, one of the prongs is uh, the, the urban density. And, and so we can't look at the development of rural land without understanding uh, the intensity with which we could develop the land within the urban boundaries. And so I'd just like to make that comment. So thank you very much. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Just to, to add, kind of Tanya's correct on that one. We are anticipating that system, at least the system to be coming to the Planning Commission for consideration at your August meeting at this time. Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission. I, I guess this one's to Jeff. Are we gonna get the Lisa system before the return of the solar farm issue? I, I, I guess I'm asking when, when, the, when the solar one's coming back to us in relation to having tools. <clears throat> Since Becky Pepper, planning manager, both of those text amendments are um, tentatively scheduled to come back to you in August. Okay. Because wherever we go with that, that's that's another stressor on open ag land. So we're going to have an interesting conversation. Matanya, um, I do have a question for you. <clears throat> in watching some of the county budget hearings, meetings, whatever they were calling them, uh, when you made a presentation, you made a comment about the difficulty of enforcing some of the conditions that are placed on conditional use permits. Can you give some examples of the ones that are hardest and suck up more staff time than they're worth? I mean, I mean, we're putting on conditions and every one of them makes sense at the time, but you're out there and you're, you're, you're taxed with enforcing these things. Which ones are just kind of, which, which ones were you referencing? Um, Tanya Voigt, zoning director. So I'm trying to think of a few just off the top of my head. Um, one is always drainage. Um, people really stick to drainage concerns. And when there are not conditions attached regarding drainage issues and it becomes a property owner to property owner dispute, um, we get involved in a lot of drainage disputes. 
And that's why we added to the zoning regulations a component that allows us to do drainage studies when development is proposed so that we have the ability to not guess whether it's going to create a drainage concern or not. We can have the applicant do a drainage study if they're serious about what they want to do and then um, take that information and make you know, the best decision for all of those landowners in the area. So that would be one situation. We have um, one that we're working on right now where um, the hours of operation were presented to the planning commission for a CUP. The planning commission, if I'm getting this right, I think Ben can correct me if I'm not, if I'm not quite getting it right. The planning commission recommended certain hours of operation for the CUP. It got to the board of county commission level. The board of county commissioners thought those restrictions were too stringent and thought that it would really kind of hamper the business. And so those hours of operation were changed. And then what that did was that created an awful lot of freedom for that applicant to have a lot more traffic going in and out of that property. So um, dust has become a concern, the traffic has become a concern and no one really anticipated that component of it so we asked the township to do a traffic count. And the first time there were some concerns that it was tampered with because it was so high. And so then the second time they did it again and um, there was a traffic count before the driveway to the CUP and then right after the driveway where people typically you know, would just be going straight through, not turning into the property. And it was a difference of like 100 cars a week versus 1200 cars a week that that one business was creating. And there are houses all the way to that business. And so um, one of the neighboring property owners is now for the first time ever paying for dust palliative. Um, and they're just voluntarily paying for it. They're, I don't even think that neighbor has called us and complained. They've just started enrolling in dust palliative because of the traffic impacts. Other neighbors have voice concerns. Um, we're currently working with legal to determine because the condition wasn't set on traffic or dust, we don't actually know that we can bring the CUP back to the planning commission or back to the board of county commissioners because it wasn't a condition that was set forth. So I think where we're at is we're trying to be just super careful with our comments. We want you guys to see our comments because um, if we're not getting the conditions right, then we may be at a situation where we don't legally have the authority to bring that CUP back if there are problems, if that condition hasn't been set and they're not violating their CUP. Uh, ben, do you have any more examples of some that um, recent ones that we've had some problems with enforcement? Um, it, it's generally, generally related to traffic and, and dust. Yeah. 90% of the time. Um, it's, it's led us to start thinking along the lines of, is there an equitable approach where businesses are, you know, they pay in a certain percentage based on known traffic flow. And, uh, it, but, but how do you equally apply that, especially when there's already nearly 200 approved? Um, so we're toying with ideas, but generally that's the, the biggest complaint. And I can think of one more that we have had a few um, issues with our noise. 
So um, when a condition is set, there have, we have examples of where um, a condition was set and uh, it wasn't, it's, the COP is not supposed to exceed a certain decibel noise level. And so um, a neighbor will complain and then we'll go to the property line and, you know, we'll listen to try to figure out if we think, you know, that it's too loud, not, not loud. And then um, for one, we had to hire a professional to come out and actually do the decibel ratings. Some of our conditions also conflict with the hours, like when we're at work and when things are going wrong. And that's often noise, often noises at nights through like Airbnbs or, um, you know, those type of like overnight stay situations where there might be drinking involved in those type of things. So um, the conditions are a little bit more problematic if we're not at work. And then um, we try to steer away from conditions that would mean we'd have to camp out at a property to watch like in the evenings. Um, we really don't, you know, want to do that if we can help it. So. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission. Thanks, Tanya. Uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of frustration, I think, all around. I mean, everyone here, we're working on long-range plans, trying to be as consistent as we can in our decisions or recommendations. And as Commissioner Shankman pointed out, I mean, then it goes on to the, the political realm and things just change. I can think of two that, you know, we've made recommendations and it gets flipped on us at the county commission. And you just gave another one that I wasn't even aware of, of, of changing hours of operations. Because we talk about those and what the impact will be to make a recommendation. But, and you can do all the planning you want, but then it gets to a commission and it's a whole different animal. So it's... It's kind of rough, but what, what I'm hearing from you is we need to pay even more attention to the conditions in the conditional use permits, and by analogy in the city to the special use permits, than we probably have because you're raising um, some issues that are very interesting. Is that why we're getting like five-year review periods so we can go back and modify things? Or should we have a faster review period when we can catch an initial, you know, two or three year one, so we can go in and clean up some of these issues like the dust palliative or decibel levels or things like that and review it, even though it might go for, you know, 10 years, but would a shorter review period be helpful? Um, because I think that's when we can modify things if you have complaints to justify it. Yeah, I think that we always thought we had the power and authority to bring something back if we were getting complaints, but because now we actually are in that situation and discussing that with legal, we've re realized that what we actually would like to do is we plan to come back to the Planning Commission with some text amendment changes from the zoning regulations. So they're new regs. We missed some things. We've, you know, worded things strange in a few spots, and we have kind of this growing list of modifications and we would like to change the zoning regulations to state that even if a conditional use permit is having complaints um, that we then have the authority to bring it back to the planning commission and board of county commissioners so that's kind of how we are planning on 
Um, instead of putting that burden on you, we'd like to just fix the regs and make them clear and allow us, no matter what the complaint is, if it's something that we cannot work through with that property owner, because the specific one with all the traffic and the dust palliative, the property owner agreed to pay for a fence with the neighbor, then backed out, didn't want to pay for the fence with the neighbor. The neighbor got stuck putting the fence up and paying for all of the fence. And then they refused to put to pay for dust palliative. So in this situation, it needs to come back um, because we're not able to, you know, remedy the situation between the neighbors and that property owner. And it's a new CUP, so now's the time to bring it back. Um, so I think we're going to plan. Um, we plan to bring those text amendments to you in fall. And so we will um, plan to remedy that situation with the zoning regulation text amendment. Thank you. I look forward to that discussion. It'll be interesting. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth, yes, yeah, that actually sounds uh, like a better avenue than a shorter a shorter window for review um, might catch things, but that seems to add, like it might add burden, uh, a lot more workload on um, what you already have. Um, any other uh, comments from commissioners? I might make one um, or one just one quick question about land development rights, purchasing of land development rights and a funding source for that. Because purchasing land development rights seems to me is a, is a, is a great tool to have, um, not only to maintain an agricultural environment, um, but open space. And so are there any models that you're looking at? Uh, or any other locations that might provide a model for a funding source for that? So we have just some super kind of intro, very beginning of research started. And we are, um, we've pulled um, several of those programs from other areas. I think that Iowa City and Johnson County, Iowa is one of those that we've pulled their model. Um, there's also a county in Colorado that we have their information. Um, and they've also incorporated other things in addition to that. So instead of just having, you know, zoning regulations at a certain density, they will allow subdivisions, but with much higher protection rates, say 75 or 80% of the land must be protected. And then you can have small, you know, subdivisions in those areas. So we're kind of just kicking around a lot of kind of ideas and thoughts. Um, so we've started just the super beginning stages, but we're not, we're not very far in. We've been busy with <laughs> UGA and Lisa and <laughs> zoning regs, so but we we're very excited about it and we look forward to digging in. Thank you. Um, other comments, uh, Commissioner Thomas. Charlie Thomas, Commissioner. I I'm sure I will find out more about uh, this young lady Lisa at some time. Uh, would anyone like to? Give me kind of a brief overview of, of the importance of uh, this, whatever it is. I'm happy to. Um, I was thinking I needed to Google because <laughs> right off the top of my head, I couldn't remember what it stood for. Land evaluation site assessment. There we go. Um, came back to me. 
So um, this is a tool that a lot of um, counties, including Riley County um, in the state of Kansas, and then um, lots of counties nationwide um, have partnered with the conservation district. Um, we look at the quality of the soil. So what soil types it is. And then we have all of these um, parameters that allow us to look at a piece of ground in this tool um, and kind of rate the land as to whether it should be protected and preserved. Um, those would be the highest quality soils, obviously not steep slopes, um, floodplain plays a factor in it, um, slopes play a factor in it. And we take the National Crop Commodity Index as well that talks about how productive the soil is. And then we take the National Rangeland Index as well um, that focuses more just on rangeland and how productive and what type of quality of soil is there. We add all these factors in and they're all weighted. And then at the end, a number pops out that says whether you know it should be protected if it's just you know set for medium protection um, would mean you know it's pretty developed around it. There's lots of housing already there, you know, um, and then you know low protection would be mean yeah it should it should be developed and and used to the fullest extent that it can be to provide housing or commercial development or whatever it might be, but it allows us to look at each application that comes before us and it would only be conditional use permits, um, rezones, and that would be going out of AG1 to AG2. And then um, site plans possibly, I think we uh, we do have the ability to also look at the lease tool for site plans, especially if it's a brand new site um, that's getting you know wiped clean. So uh, in the past, this board has had to really work with planning staff and our office, and it's been a little bit subjective. We look at it on a map, we um, look at whether it's currently being farmed, um, whether it could be farmed, is it not being farmed? And then we look at what type of soil it has on it. Is it prime soils or not? But, you know, staff has really had to put all of that work into it in a little bit more subjective way um, to get that same result. And this kind of takes all that subjectivity out of it and it, provides just a tool that you can plug in any property in the county and get a score. Well, at least I know who she is now. Um, our, and, and I don't know who could, could answer this, but is anyone new coming in and trying to buy large, uh, parcels of farmland um, are we getting um, I don't want to say younger but are we getting new people come in who want to start farming in Douglas County or are we really just talking about uh, farms that have been here for generations perhaps White zoning director, both. So we just met with a property owner that's a brand new property owner moved here from Colorado. Um, we looked at their barn. They're um, uh, work, currently working with the conservation district on some farming and orchard options. Um, and they just moved here from another state. We also um, recently met with 
a couple who are planning a vineyard near the town, the unincorporated town of Lone Star. Um, and they plan to open a winery and they're first time farmers. Um, and so uh, one of the gentlemen had traveled in Europe and had done been a part of the Wolf program and he um, really enjoyed making wine. And so he's brought it back to Kansas and is growing a really rare type of grapes, which I'm, I'm not a wine drinker, so I don't know all the specialties of it, but um, yeah, I think we really have both. I think, you know, the goal really for us is to sustain what we have and then to encourage new to come in. I, Commissioner Thomas again, I, I live out in the country and, and have 150 acres. I don't know anyone that does not already have a farm that is coming in to have 150 acres of wheat or corn or um, any, any other row crops. I do see people that come in that will do a vineyard, that will do an orchard, that will do, I don't want to call them micro farms, but I, I don't see, if we don't protect the farms that are here, I, I don't see people coming in to purchase the farms and keep them in productive agriculture. I, I don't know who those, they're not anybody that I know certainly out in the county that does that. Uh, so are we, incur, are we trying to encourage keeping the large family farms together or the guy that comes in from Colorado that's been to Europe that does these things? What, what is our focus? I would say that the zoning regulations are not stringent enough to protect um, large-scale agriculture in Douglas County. So commodity row crop farming is something that is phasing out because the county is parceling up. And so um, I don't have an answer for that. I, I think we're trying to encourage small-scale farming, specialty crops, you know, vineyards, those type of things because the land is being parceled up to smaller acreage, and those are the only things that are viable on the smaller acreage. Um, and there's not a lot of people who come in with the equipment to be able to row crop for first time and have the money for that and have the money for land and can buy all that equipment and get started. So I completely agree, Charlie. I don't. I wish I had an answer for that, but I, I do um, believe that the zoning regulations, and I don't know that it's zoning that needs to fix that, but they are not stringent enough to protect large-scale commodity row crop farming. Well, I, since I am the new person on the commission, perhaps I don't, well, I shouldn't even say perhaps, I know I don't fully understand what our purpose is and what input we are supposed to, to give. And at the same time, as, as someone who does live in the unincorporated areas of Douglas County, I I have been to commission meetings where I see um, uh, the elected officials bend over backwards to protect 
Old West Lawrence or to protect the feeling of some portion of the city, or is this group, is this commission that I'm part of, is there a, and I think there is, but is there the same kind of effort to protect rural Old West Lawrence kind of feeling, the, the, the rural um, ethos, the rural, is, is that where we are? Is that what we are looking for? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director, to, to your question, and, and maybe some of the planning commissioners will, will help me on this. I think during the discussion, during the comprehensive plan and some of the items that were included in there, I think you do see some of that foundation stones being put in there to protect that uh, rural economy, that rural urban divide, and, and kind of that, that sense of place that unincorporated Douglas County gives us. Um, and many, many planning commissioners during that discussion articulated it far better than I could. Uh, but I think you're starting to see that become a, a cornerstone of how Lawrence and Douglas County views itself in the greater whole. And I think that really stands out in the pages of Plan 2040 and a lot of the work that's been kind of going on behind the scenes there. So I think that's, it's, it shows it's, I think it shows itself well in the pages there, but I think it's going to probably continue to come up as part of both discussions here at the planning commission, but also in our long range planning efforts that we do um, that'll get kicked off in 2022 and, and working its way around the city and the County. I think it's going to really formulate quite well in those plans and, and become more tangible as we get those documents online. And I, Commissioner Thomas, again, I'm sure as I become more familiar with uh, the intricacies of this commission that I will probably better understand um, the role that, that I am to play, we are to play, um, and I look forward to it. Commissioner Ashworth, and we look forward to your participation. And yes, I can reiterate what, what um, Jeff Crick said. Is it's a large portion of Plan 2040. There was a great deal of emphasis on the rural character of Douglas County. And I can say that as a city person, listening to uh, the commissioners discuss these issues um, month after month, there is definitely a feeling of of uh, trying to find that balance with urban density and rural Douglas County. I think there's a, a great combination of uh, city and county perspectives on this commission. So I've been really pleased and I can say that as a, a city person, I've learned a great deal um, from the commissioners that have an eye towards um, Douglas, the county. So, and I really appreciated that. I think you'll find that. Commissioner Thomas, again, I, I didn't notice that uh, when I was talking about Greg going morel hunting, that uh, he was hopefully not giving away his secret areas out there in the country. Uh, but Greg, is, is that uh, something we should look forward to coming to your house for a meal of morels? I, it's possible. We'll have to see. Great. Well, um, Commissioner Ashworth, again. Um, are there other comments for 
in relation to the county zoning presentation that we have just heard. Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission. I, I just want to follow up on some of that. I and mean, we would plan 2040, as uh, Jeff pointed out, when he was in a position of planning director and drafting a lot of the changes and the whole thing, that we flipped um, Horizon 2020 on its head. So Plan 2040 started looking from the county into the city. And if you go through the plan, you'll see there's a greater emphasis on the rural areas. And you, you being on the commission is exactly what we were asking the county commission to do, to get more voices, more county appointees that are from the unincorporated areas that can bring those perspectives to us that live in the city and don't have as much experience. That's where Karen is really been here back when I started Penny Van Aachen. I mean, we had people that have been able to provide us information. And tonight's been great. I've learned more about the intricacies of township roads and planning than I have in years, just in one night. And it's been wonderful. So you're a welcome voice. Speak up. Let us know the perspectives. Because we... This joint planning commission of city county is a rarity. Um, there aren't many joint city county planning commissions in the country. You just go to Johnson County. Johnson County is a planning commission. Edgerton's a planning commission. Gardner's a planning commission. Olathe's a planning commission. They don't, they don't interact. They don't share ideas. They don't work together on longer range plans. Because with Plan 2040, we've really started looking at longer range plans because we've got climate changes coming. We're going to lose productivity of farmland. We have, I mean, it's here. It's happening now. And so as part of these discussions, preserving agricultural land is even more important because its productivity is going to start falling. Um, we're in that part of the country that's going to have more drought and we're going to lose productivity. So everything's going to be changing and we really need this joint effort. And so I'm glad you're here <laughs> to provide some of that longer term perspective that, that will help add to this. Thanks. Great, Commissioner Ashworth. Um, any further comments on this subject for us? I'm losing my words, it's getting late. <laughs> so although not as late as it can be, just a warning to Commissioner Thomas. Um, so any other comments on the county? I really appreciate them coming and bringing this to us and giving us a whole lot to chew on. There's so much coming down the pike. Yeah, thank you for letting us throw the kitchen sink at you. We really appreciate that. Um, we have a lot of stuff coming in as well that we're trying to you know, process and make the best use of that information and, and really have dialogue. Um, and this is what we need. So um, we're very grateful to be here and we appreciate you having us. Great, so at this point, um, I forget, do we vote to, recess till Wednesday. I've, I've forgotten if that's a vote or we just 
Jeff Craig, Plain Development Services Director. We would need a, a motion and a second to recess out to the Wednesday meeting. Okay, and let's just say it. So first let me, um, before we end that, let me thank our very hard working or the city and county planning staff that worked so hard um, every, to bring this all to us and listen to all our questions and talk endlessly about minimum maintenance on roads, which somebody thought about, and all these zoning intricacies, like Commissioner Carpenter said, we just haven't. Um, we, it's great to just be able to talk about them, and there's new things that we learn all the time. So I just really want to thank the staff. I want to thank our volunteer planning commissioners who do this, and uh, welcome our newest commissioner, Commissioner Thomas, and thank him for jumping right in um, with questions and comments. So, and thanks again to Kurt for making this all this Zoom possible. So can I have a motion? Yes. Um, I, I, David Carter, Commissioner, I will uh, move uh, uh, to recess, but first I would like to thank our vice mm -hmm. chair for stepping up to chair this meeting this evening. Uh, it's not a comment. I know Commissioner Carpenter had a similar situation in his second meeting as vice chair. So it's a rare um, honor slash burden. And I just want to thank you for managing this meeting so well. We should do this to every vice chair, make them chair the second meeting. So I, um, that said, uh, I would move to uh, recess until Wednesday. Can I have a second, please? Commissioner Rexroad, um, any last comments? All right, can I have a, a roll call for vote? Jeff Crick, please. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Thomas. Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Thank you, everybody. See you Wednesday night. Thanks, everyone.